Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are starting to get a little spooked by Jacob Chikrin's slow start to the season, but we'll get to that in like two hours from now. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky. Happy Halloween to everyone, and we've got a really big show for you today because we're going to be doing the classic Keeping Carlson outjuries, injuries, hot streaks, cold streaks. We're going to go through them all. It's going to be me and my very good friend, my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode where we're going to go all around the league to try and find the most fancy relevant pieces, news and notes and trends and what's the opposite of a trend? One off? Uh, Everything you need to know so that you can set your fantasy team up for another win this week. Or if you're not in a head to head, stay on the road to winning your fantasy championship at the end of the show. Thanks for listening. I think we're going to make it worth your while. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening. For any of you listening for the first time or you still haven't subscribed to Keeping Carlson, just go and uh, hit that subscribe button on your Spotify or Apple podcast. Then you'll just get every show, which is not only our Mega Sunday shows, but Ben and Lewis have been crushing it with the short shifts on the Wednesday and Friday morning. So we've been keeping you all up to date with everything going on in the world of fantasy hockey. And like Brian said, this show will be no exception. Let's get into it. In just a sec, of course, let's mention that Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, your number one source for fantasy hockey. It's just like the best site because You've got articles breaking down all the things that are going on every single day. I love the deep dives. I, of course, love the ramblings. And then you've got all the tools at Frozen Tools, which is a big part of Dauber Hockey. And I use those to prep the show and to be successful in my leagues. So you got to check it all out over at DauberHockey.com. But Brian, let's get into it. Let's start with some outjuries. I always want to start the show with some good news before we get into a lot of people on, on the COVID list and other sad injuries. But let's start in a happy place, which is in Pittsburgh. And I guess you could tell me if this is a happy place, because the good news is both Sidney Crosby and Jeff Carter to return for their respective injuries on Saturday versus the Devils. The bad news is they they still lost. Their returns weren't enough to keep the Pens from losing their third in a row. They lost 4-2. to two. Brian, we had this theory uh, that we've been trying out over these last few episodes that maybe teams do better when all their players are injured. And this is another example of where that's the case. Uh, and also San Jose, we were just talking about before the show, they had a bunch of players last minute not play the game on Saturday versus... Winnipeg and they won. So I don't know how this works. But anyways, you've got to assume that the team is better with both Crosby and Carter back in the lineup. Here were the lines on Saturday. The Pens went with Crosby, Gensel, and Erod, Evan Rodriguez, and then Carter, Zucker, and Kapanen. That was the top six. And then the top power play had Crosby, Carter, Kapanen, Gensel, and then John Marino quarterbacking the top power play because Latang is still out on the COVID protocol. Apparently he's feeling better maybe by the next time Pittsburgh plays, which is not a- until Thursday. Maybe Latang will be back by then and then we can forget about Marino on that top power play. Uh, so... Let's take a look at who of these players in the top six are potentially worth holding 
uh, obviously aside from Crosby and Gensel, especially with now no games until next Thursday. Anyone who has Erod, Carter, Zucker, or Kapanen have a tough decision to make right now. So I'm just going to go through them quickly. So Carter, no points in his return, but four shots. So that's good. And obviously it's nice to have a guy on the top power play. Kasperi Kapanen had a lot of hype going into the season and he started strong. Four assists in his first five games, but now he's gone pointless in his last three. Still averaging close to three shots per game since the opener, which isn't too bad. He had three shots versus New Jersey, but unfortunately, yeah, no production lately. So he maybe becomes a bit of a tough hold. You got Evan Rodriguez, no points in his last three games, but four shots in each of his last couple of games. And he's in that primo spot with Crosby Gensel. Brian, remember, like, Kevin Carlson used to be all about who's playing with Crosby. That was like the theme of every single episode or at least a five minute segment. Well, right now it's Evan Rodriguez in that sweet spot with Crosby and Gensel, and he's been taking shots. So he's definitely someone that I've got my eye on. Maybe not someone you hold, but someone that, you know, come Thursday, he could be someone you might want to stream in. Uh, Jason Zucker was on a run of four points in five games. Now he's pointless in his last couple, but he had seven shots in those games. So we're getting a theme here of a lot of players that are not getting points, but at least taking lots of shots on goal. Uh, Marino, no points since Latang has been out. Uh, four points in his first four games, though. So it was like, I don't know, getting on the top power play was a curse or something for John Marino. So Brian, of all these Penguins I've mentioned in the top six here, aside from Crosby and Gensel, of course, would you hold any of them? If you had them in your Cupful League, uh, you know, you're in a close matchup, let's say, next week. You need to win because you need to win every week if you're in a competitive league. Are th- is there anyone here that catches your eye enough that you'll hold them even for a bad schedule week? It's really hard because they only play twice and they're not playing until Thursday and Saturday, which are already heavy days. So if you're going to keep one of these Penguins, you either have to feel really confident in your team's ability to, you know, not have to maximize games played to win your week, or you just have to be really, really committed to any of them. So let's take a quick tour through these Penguins players you mentioned. I mean, you already gave us win, but I'll try and add a little bit of context and see if any of them really stick out. Um, You've got Kasperi Kapanen. It was great to see him holding the top power play role and his shots on goal keep coming. So he's someone that I think I would be tempted to hold and maybe the only one of the group. Although as somebody who streamed in Jason Zucker this week in a couple leagues, man, was it great to see him come to life. 15 shots in his last four games to go along with the points he's been putting up too. It's been a long time, though. I'm focusing on the shots for Zucker because we haven't seen his shots on goal look like this for a few years now. His last couple seasons in Minnesota, Zucker shot near three shots per game. But ever since coming to Pittsburgh, he's been like below two shots per game, which has been really disappointing because we like Zucker as a volume shooter who might always who might not always score, but at least he's pumping shots on net, which is what he's gotten back to doing now with three and a half shots per game so far this season. So he's someone that I have already streamed back out, but I'm keeping an eye on him. Like I'm keeping him close by on my watch lists. And then we'll go to Erod. And just to clarify, uh, Lewis coined the nickname for Evan Rodriguez as Erod on an episode of Short Shifts not so long ago. It sounds a little like Martin Erat. So I, I just, uh, just to clarify, we know Martin Erat is retired. He doesn't play in the NHL. We're talking about Erod, Evan Rodriguez, who is holding that Brian Rust Memorial spot alongside Crosby's wing, uh, who we've seen, you know, we've seen Dominic Simone was another big name that shuffled through there. Quote unquote, big name, uh, as in a name that we did reference every other week on the show for four years or whatever. One of the whole list who we just wanted on Crosby's wing. But if Evan Rodriguez is there, then yeah, you should be interested. And he's put up some pretty good numbers stepping up into a role. He always seemed like someone who might be able to play well enough to justify top six deployment. 
but was always just too much of a bubble guy that way to actually hold on to his spot. So it's nice to see him get an extended look here and make the most of it. Uh, John Marino, he had that five-shot game, which was really exciting. But aside from that, I'm not that excited by him. I mean, that Pittsburgh power play should be a great place to be. But if it's minus Latang and minus Malkin, and for a while it was minus Crosby, then is it really a great place to be? So now with Crosby back, it's a slightly better place to be. And if you're desperate for defense, Marino could be good until Latang clears COVID protocol, which seems like it could still be a couple games. Um, but if you're losing the games played battle and you need to add uh, add someone who's going to play more games. And I don't think I'd be holding on too tight to John Marino, worried that I'm going to miss out on a ton of production in those two games this week. None of these guys in Pittsburgh outside of Kapanen seem like great holds with just those two games this week, but they do still track as good streams. So again, if these guys are far and above the other streaming options in your league, which is unlikely, hold on to them. Otherwise, you know, trying to replace them with someone from uh, Chicago or Ottawa or Nashville for the first part of the week for more streaming suggestions, by the way, check out Dave Benton's stream scheme, uh, which we'll link in the show notes and you can just find by Googling stream scheme. Um, so then, you know, find someone who plays a couple times at the start of the week and then grab one of these penguins back on Thursday, if it makes sense, because I still think they're rosterable in a busier week, but they're not busy. So that's the problem. But they are busy the week after this. They'll have four games, which makes them appealing to add around Thursday or Saturday. Uh, like I said, I dropped Zucker myself, even though he did me well as a streamer. I think all of these guys are fringe guys in most formats. And Kapanen may be the one guy I try to hold on to because of that top power play deployment. Right. Well, Jeff Carter, I guess, also there. Jeff Carter actually has out status still on Yahoo. I don't know why, because he played on Saturday. So I guess if you could grab him and stash him, and then you don't even have to worry about losing a roster spot until Pittsburgh plays on Thursday. So that's maybe a weird... I don't even know what you'd call a loophole that you can try to exploit. Uh, by the way, I would imagine that there's maybe some Jake Gensel managers who are a little concerned, only four points in seven games. I would say definitely don't panic. And also, let's see how he does now that he's back with Crosby. You know, we'll check back in on Jake Gensel maybe in a couple of weeks. You know, if we're saying this replace two times this next week, four times the week after. If Gensel still is like only p- producing at like half point per game, then yeah, we'll definitely bring him up on the show and deep dive. But right now, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, we don't we don't need to deep dive. And to be honest, Jake Gensel looks a lot like he did last year at five on five. It's just massive loss on the power play. Like that Pittsburgh power play, it's not just about losing Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. That's that devastates the entire thing, right? If you don't have those same personnel, you can't just plop someone into each of their places and say what do what Crosby, Malkin, and Latang would do here. No, it doesn't work like that. So Gensel's really suffering. They're just one power play point through seven games when last year he would average, you know, one power play point, say every three games or so, um, which isn't a big drop from what he's put up so far. But um, that's that's where the big difference is right now. His even strength production this year so far and his numbers under the hood. I know you said don't do a deep dive yet, but honestly, he looks just fine at five on five and he just needs that power play to get back up to full health and get up and running for him to start getting in on the action. Also, his shooting percentage is way down. He's shooting under 5%. This guy who usually shoots 15%. So there's your mini Jake Gensel deep dive, uh, which is to say, I don't think we're going to need to do a deeper one. I think things will all self-correct for him. 
Okay, great. So maybe now's your chance to trade for him in your league if there is a nervous Jake Gensel manager. Obviously, we're going to mention a lot of players on hot streaks in this episode, so you can try to throw some of them out for Gensel if uh, Brian concurs that those hot streaks won't last. Okay, so we're still on outtrace here. Let's go to the Rangers. They got a couple of reinforcements back this past week in Ryan Strom and Capo Caco. This allowed Coach Gallant to reunite the Strom, Panarin, Caco line, which was the plan going into the season, and it worked out pretty well for Friday's 4 nothing win over Columbus. Uh, Strom opened the scoring. The goal was assisted by Nils Lundqvist and Panarin. Kako was on the ice. For what it's worth, he got the plus one. So obviously that line produced something. Strom's return also bumped Alexi Lafreniere off the top power play, where Lafreniere had amassed a total of zero points in his tenure there. So that didn't go so well. In fact, Laf was down on the third line on Friday with Blay and Heedle, along with the power play to Demotion. Though, hey, he actually managed an even strength goal himself. So another example of someone maybe doing better, even with worse deployment, which is always weird to see. But I guess obviously it's going to happen every once in a while. Uh, Barclay Goudreau played on the Zabat at Kreider line, by the way, which is why Lafreniere was down on line three. Uh, Goudreau didn't do anything, though, so obviously we'll have to wait and see. Actually, the Rangers play today, Brian. We're recording this. It's 8.30 right now. The Rangers play at 9 against Seattle, so we could check in a little later and see if the lines have changed. But at this point, I guess I'd love to just get your take on some of these lower-level Rangers. Like, Lafreniere is rostered in 61% of leagues currently on Yahoo compared to Kako at 18% and Goudreau at 4%. To me, like, Lafreniere is in the worst spot of the three of them right now, though obviously he probably has the highest pedigree or maybe it's arguable between him and Kako, but who would you take at this point between the three if you had the option? Like I said, Kako and Goudreau not doing much of anything offensively so far on good lines. Lafreniere has four points in eight games, but currently on line three. Maybe is the answer just none of the above and you don't want any of the non-power play one Rangers at this point? I think that might be the answer, Elon, which is unfortunate because Lafreniere, we see offensive upside there. Actually, we're seeing a lot of really good signs from what Lafreniere can do. We're seeing him more involved in the offense in New York compared to last year and an uptick in Lafreniere's scoring chances for both him individually and his line mates compared to last year. Of course, he's playing with better line mates. That might account for that, or he was playing with better line mates. One curiosity for Lafreniere early in his career is that he's shooting 20% at five on five and his goals for rates are twice his expected goals for rates. So there's two explanations for this. The first could be that Lafreniere has been really lucky so far. The second is that he's an elite shooter or at least an above average shooter. So we're going to keep watching to find out exactly uh, how great a converter Lafreniere can continue being as he keeps racking up the shots on goal and reps in the NHL. In any case, Though we're still seeing positive stuff from Alexi early on from him this year, and it's nice to see he's still young. So we've got to keep our expectations tempered for him, especially if he's not playing in the top six. It is kind of frustrating because of he, Kako, and Goudreau, Lafreniere seems like the one who has the most to give, right? The most offensively capable, except he's the one getting the worst deployment, which kind of washes out whatever upside there might be for him in the short term. So I think I'd still prefer Lafreniere for another game or two to see what happens with these lines and if he can somehow produce from the third line to Kako and Goodrow. But if Lafreniere goes quiet and starts looking like he did last year again, then at that point I would go Kako just because he has the best line mates, but he hasn't done much with them either in the opportunities he's had. So no matter who of these three you're looking at, you're looking at them, you're giving them a one or two game audition. And if you're not seeing anything, I think it's okay to cut them loose. None of them seem like guys you need to hold on to just in case they go off. 
Yeah, I, I guess I'm holding a candle to Kako over Lafreniere just because I just love Artemi Panarin, and I feel like if you're playing with Panarin, you're going to produce. Though, of course, at some point, they have, you actually have to do that in order for me to still be interested. So we'll see. I predict that tonight, Kako's going to get a point against Seattle. So we'll see if that comes true. Panarin, by the way, seven points in eight games. Remember at the start of the year, Panarin had like, I don't know, like a couple pointless games, and people, at least on the fantasy hockey subreddit, were starting to freak out and being like, what should we do about Panarin? And it was like so obvious that he'd be fine. Uh, Zibanejad, six points in eight games. He's a little cold lately. Uh, Zibanejad's someone I'm interested in seeing how the season's going to play out now that he's not playing with Buchnevich. Like, obviously, playing with Barclay Goudreau in that spot instead of Buchnevich is not as great. And obviously, so far, it hasn't been that bad. And obviously, Chris Kreider's having a good start to the year. But that'll be interesting to follow. I would have thought that Lafreniere would be there. So that might change a bunch throughout the season. All right, Brian, let's go to the next outjuries over in Dallas. Jason Robertson finally got his first two games of the season in last week. Went right back to his line from last year with Rupe Hintz and Joe Pavelski. And they were both losses uh, to both Vegas and Ottawa. Robertson assisted on Pavelski's second period power play goal and had four shots on Saturday. So I guess his managers can't complain too much after having to wait so long for his season to get started. Meanwhile, you can't really say the same for the managers of any other Dallas players outside of Miro Haskinen, because pretty much everyone has been a bust so far. So we'll do Brian's favorite thing on keeping Carlson, which is a roundup of Dallas players. But, you know, if, if you say that they're not going to be good anymore and they continue to not be good, then maybe we don't even have to talk about them for another bunch of shows. But yeah, I'll do a quick rundown here. Guys, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are rostering these Dallas guys and wondering, okay, what am I supposed to do with these people? Because all the people I'm about to tell you about are all over 70% rostered on Yahoo. So I think a lot of listeners are holding on to Pavelski, Radulov, Sagan, Ben, Hintz, Klingbergs. Okay, Pavelski. That goal that he scored on Saturday, only his second of the season, only his third point in eight games, so very slow start for him. On the plus side... He's got Robertson on his line, so hopefully that'll help moving forward. Though, of course, you don't want to just depend on one player to like change the whole uh, impact of, of the line, but maybe it's possible, depending on how good Robertson is. Uh, Radulov and Sagan also have three points. Sagan's at least leading the team in shots. He has 27 shots in eight games. So that's over three shots per game, which is nice, but still less than half point per game is not what people drafting Sagan were expecting. Jamie Benn, only two assists in eight games. Rupe hints a measly one assist in eight games. That one is probably one of the biggest shockers of the year so far because last year he was basically a point-per-game guy when he played. People were so excited that this year he'll be healthy and he could just continue what he was doing. Uh, not yet, <laughs> which is obviously, yeah, a big bummer. But again, he does have Robertson coming back to his line, so maybe that'll help. John Klingberg, no points in four games so far. What is going on there? Obviously, he missed some time with injury. He did take six shots on Friday, for what it's worth. But yeah, he's been a bust so far. Like I said, Brian, all these guys over 70% rostered on Yahoo. So are we ready to call any of these players I've just mentioned as a snoozer so far? Give their managers permission to pull the cord in like, you know, whatever, a deepish or somewhat shallow league like obviously it depends on the league but just in general I just want to get your general vibe are these players that you're expecting big bounce backs from do any of them that I just mentioned have 60 plus point potential in your opinion moving forward for the rest of the season or is it time to just assume that Dallas is going to be a boring team and none of these guys are going to do too much so I'm going to focus on the second part of that question about whether Dallas is going to be a boring team because a, a rising tide raises all boats right that's the saying so I guess a, a, an ebbing tide Sinks all boats, which, that, which yeah, it's a good corollary. Yeah, okay. So let's see if the tide is low or high in Dallas and what we can expect the rest of the way, because we've talked about these team level effects so far and how instead of peeling through a bunch of individual performances, 
uh, you might as well just look and see how the team is going when everyone on the team is struggling uh, before you start picking apart each individual player. So let's see where the Dallas Stars rank in different offensive measures, like the ones that usually tell us, okay, how, how many scoring chances? How often should we be expecting this team to score? So in shots, the Stars rank 20th. In shot attempts, they rank 18th in the league. In expected goals rates, they rank 22nd in the league. But here's the really telling one. In goals four per 60 minutes, the Dallas Stars rank 31st in the NHL. So you just heard me tell you that they ranked around 20th in a few offensive generation metrics. And then I told you in actual goals, what's actually showing up on the scoreboard, they're ahead of only one team in the league, ranked 31st. And they and that 32nd ranked team are both half a goal per 60 behind 30th ranked Arizona in goals scored per 60 minutes. One reason for that happening in Dallas is that their team shooting percentage is really, really freaking low. They are last in the league in team shooting percentage at five on five, shooting just 3.7% collectively. And that's why we're seeing them ranked as a team that maybe should be around 20th and is actually 31st in the league in the offense they're putting up. Thank goodness the Dallas power play is healthy. You might say, yeah, everything's humming along there, except they're not even getting many opportunities. The Stars are ranked 29th in power play opportunities. So that whole picture for Dallas, that zoomed out idea, tells me that, okay, offensively, Dallas is probably a mid-pack team or slightly below that, but they're dead last in actual offense in the league because they just can't buy a goal because of variance and they aren't getting as many power play opportunities as most other teams. And I get it. If you have someone from this Dallas team on your roster, they are frustrating to hold. And this is not the first second or third time that we've looked at a roster full of offensively capable players on Dallas and screamed, why, why is this happening? But I don't know yet that this team is actually going to be any less capable on offense than last year's where we saw value from Bavelski and Hint and Robertson and Klingberg and Haskinen. We've said we don't know if ceilings will be as high for all these guys because Sagan and Randolov are back in the picture and the wealth needs to be shared more up and down the roster. And that still holds, but we're still not seeing Dallas perform. They're actually offensively like capability yet. They've been slammed early by bad variants. So we don't want to run and go judging any of these guys too heavily. With that said, uh, I'm also not saying I'd run out and buy low because we we still don't know just how great each of these individual players can be. It's still a bit of a mystery because a lot has changed in Dallas this year compared to last year. But I would reserve judgment if you can. And if I am going to try and come up with some individual level analysis, I will say that I see John Klingberg and Rupe Hintz both looking the best under the hood relative to their performances last year. I'm seeing Mira Haskinen being able to hold steady. And then I'm seeing Alex Radulov take a, a slight downtick from what he was able to do his last full season. Pavelski's holding what he did last year, but has lost some time on ice uh, and some variants along with that, which helped him do what he did last year. So uh, there's reason to be a little concerned about Pavelski. And then Tyler Sagan, whose expected goals rates are down, but his time on ice is actually up. 
So like the, there's some mixed signals being sent here about several players. Um, but that's that's the basic look about each of these stars guys you brought up. Jamie Ben definitely still like he's a snoozer, uh, which we said going into the season. I could see definitely Pavelski being a streamer, Radulov borderline streamer the way things are going. I think Rupe Hintz and John Klingberg are good by lows. And Tyler Sagan is a mystery, but I remain optimistic that he can break 60 points. So that is my that's my Dallas rundown. Elon, did that cover most of it? No, that was amazing. I really appreciate that. It's nice to hear that you think that they have had some bad variants and they should be scoring a few more goals. And we'll have to see when they do start scoring those more goals. And they're not playing against the amazing uh, Philip Gustafsons from Ottawa, maybe playing against goalies who are going to let a few more get past them. Maybe then we'll start to find out how these Dallas players can do. Uh, and by the way, the one guy I said that is doing well, Miro Haskinen, it's pretty impressive considering how badly Dallas has been performing offensively this year. Haskinen somehow doing his best like Roman Yosi impression averaging almost a point per game while no one else can even get to half. I say Yosi, because remember last year on Nashville, or maybe it was two seasons ago, like Yosi was getting all these points and no one else on the team could even be a half point per game player. So Brian, do you think that Haskinen is like, then should we be especially impressed with him? Like you mentioned that you think that he's like holding steady with his underlying numbers, but the actual numbers are showing him having like a breakout so far. But of course, it's only eight games. Like I just want to know, like how impressed should I be with Miro Haskinen being almost a point per game player on a team that's barely scoring any goals? That's like you said, 31st in the league in goals. I love the Roman Yosi comparison because, yeah, Roman Yosi was the only scoring light in Nashville for a while. As for Hayskinen, though, I don't think he's as offensively inclined in Roman Yosi, and I don't think he can keep this up. Hayskinen's points participation rates are high at five on five and on the power play. And keep in mind that now Klingberg has been back a few games. We've seen Klingberg now step back up to the top power play, which pushes Haskinen back onto the second unit, which is going to hurt Haskinen's full season pace that we're looking at and being wowed by because it's been fueled largely by three power play points for Haskinen in eight games, which comes out to a 31 power play point pace in a full season. And that's also where Haskinen was also picking up some extra shots. So without that top power play time, I assume it's gone. Now that Klingberg is back and back in the swing of things, I think we can expect Haskinen to take a, a bit of a downturn from here. I still have him around 45 points. I still think it'll be a productive fantasy season for him, but I don't think we're going to be confusing him for Roman Yosi. Okay, interesting. Yeah, 45 would be kind of disappointing right now. So I guess it's almost like what you're saying then is now is maybe a time to see what you can get for Haskin in, in your league. It's always tough to sell these like really high players, but you could always tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who your targets are for Haskin. Uh, one player who I think I'd prefer, but I don't think you'll be able to get him is Neil Pionk over in Winnipeg, who's having such an amazing start to the year, point per game himself, plus all those great peripherals. And we'll talk about him in just a sec because I'm going to Winnipeg because we're on outjuries and Blake Wheeler's back. So hooray! He returned from the COVID list for the Jets on Saturday. They lost still two to one to the COVID depleted Sharks. A pretty uninspiring return for Wheeler, though. He started the game with Kopp and Stasny, ended up spending time on the third line with Lowry and Veselainen, with Ehlers taking his spot on the Stasny Kopp line. Uh, so now Wheeler has only one assist and four shots in the three games he's played so far. Obviously, that's a super small sample size, but how worried would you be as a Wheeler manager right now? Like, he's obviously getting up in age. I don't like seeing a guy who I expect to be a top line, top power play player to all of a sudden be bumped to the third line midway through his first game back. Though of course, you could just write it off as being like, ah, he's coming back from COVID. Like, they didn't want to work him too hard, whatever. Are we just holding out hope? Because also another big thing with Wheeler is that he generally plays with Mark Shifley, who's awesome. And he's been away, and he's apparently going to be back really soon, maybe as soon as Tuesday. So should Wheeler managers just be like, okay, continue to expect what they did going into the season? Or would you be really concerned at this point? 
It depends what you were expecting from Wheeler going into the season. And we flagged Wheeler before the year as someone who could be in for a decline as he enters his age 35 season. And we've seen some signs and reasons to not expect him to be that 75-point player that he's been for the past couple seasons, uh, which isn't to say he's going to be useless like he has been so far. Uh, like you said, Elon, I, I think it might be a stretch to try and read anything into the games he's played, right? Wheeler played two games and then went out for COVID and uh, he's just drawn back into the lineup. So I'm not ready to read too much into his numbers as of yet, but I will say that if your expectations were 75 points, uh, like this is just the preseason take because nothing's changed from what I've seen from him so far. Uh, you're expecting something too high. I think you're you're hoping for 65 points this year from Wheeler. 70 points would be amazing if he could get there, but I'm not sure he's got it in him. I'm curious to see. Uh, if he looks better or worse than that 65-point mark. But it would be pretty foolish to overreact to his numbers in a three-game spread uh, that came across two and a half weeks and was interrupted by him being symptomatic with COVID. So let's not go too crazy. But Wheeler is someone that I am interested in watching for a couple weeks just to see if we're right, that he is in decline or if he can somehow keep up being a 70-plus point player uh, for another season. But my bet is against that. Yeah, my bet would also be against that. I'd be a little concerned unless he could really ride some Shifley coattails. I think it'll be tough for Wheeler at this age. And obviously, no disrespect to him. He's been an amazing player in the league for like well over a decade. But yeah, it's it's a little bit concerning right now. But like you said, Brian, that's what we thought going into the season. And obviously, this is just three games. So we'll see how this next week goes. By the way, last week, we called Nikolai Ehlers as someone who will get going soon. He started the season scoreless in four games. We were definitely right. He had f- five points in his next four games. So I say that turned out well. I wonder if anyone was able to buy low. Please let us know if you got a really good steal on Nikolai Ehlers. And also, you know, we've been giving a lot of credit to Pierre-Luc Dubois for his great start to the season, but I feel like sometimes we give credit to the players who we weren't expecting it, but we should give credit to the players who we were expecting to be good, then they're like amazingly and like even better than what we could have expected. So we've got to talk about Kyle Connor, right? His goal versus the Sharks on Saturday brought him to seven goals and seven assists in eight games. 14 points in eight games, almost a goal a game. And this is without Shifley as a regular centerman. You'd think that he would be hurt by losing Shifley, Kyle Connor is just fine. He's also averaging 4.6 shots per game, well above anything he's ever done before. Brian, I recall last week I asked you about Andrei Svechnikov. We talked about his amazing start to the year. And I asked you, like, do you think this is the season where he's going to cement himself as being, like, worth, like, a whole round higher in drafts going to next year? Like, this year, Svechnikov is maybe being taken, like, round three of most fantasy drafts. I was wondering if maybe this year, next year, he'll now be, like, round two or even round one. I got to ask you the same question about Kyle Connor right now. The way he's playing, he's been, like, unbelievable. I got him in the cupful in my auction draft you know with these auction drafts you don't really know who you're gonna get i just had a value for him and i was able to get him at the value i got him at i think it was like 30 dollars of my budget so far my biggest steal of the draft even though he's the player i paid the third most for i think kyle connor's performance this season has definitely earned him the right to move up at least around if he can keep that up his ADP in the Kukupful this season was uh, just around 42nd, which would put him right at the end of the third round. And if he keeps up what he's doing, he is not going to last that long this season. And I really think there's a decent chance he keeps up a lot of what he's doing. It seems like Kyle Connor has found another gear this year. His shots, his shot attempts, and his expected goals rates, they're all up above previous career highs at five on five. And those are all things he can be in control of keeping up, which is super exciting rather than just getting a whole bunch of variants working his way. We're seeing Kyle Connor do more 
than he's ever done before. He's also getting more time to do it with. Paul Maurice has Kyle Connor on the ice for another 60 seconds a night at five on five, which is a nice little bump for him. If Kyle Connor keeps doing what he's doing, he's definitely entering second rounder territory, if not the end of first round. Just remember where we had Jake Gensel not long ago. That's where Kyle Connor is headed in draft territory with the way he's playing. One fun thing about Kyle Connor is that his shooting percentage at five on five right now is 20%, which is probably high. But the fun part is that Connor's shooting percentage has also been rising for three years, which isn't something normal that we tend to see. You know, usually once an NHL player establishes their shooting percentage baseline, it more or less stays there. But along with Connor's rising shooting percentage, we're seeing rising expected goals rates, which means that Kyle Connor is finding more dangerous places and more dangerous ways to take his shots from. So I'm open to the fact that Connor has worked on his shot and worked on his game and is becoming a more successful shooter by becoming a more dangerous shooter. And I've actually found this pattern where the higher players expected goals rates seem to be, the more likely they seem to outperform it. And Connor is entering that territory where his expected goals rates this year is above one expected goal per 60 minutes, which it Essentially, that's the mark above which elite goal scorers find themselves. So I'm really excited to see if Kyle Connor can hold that. It's really exciting all that he's doing offensively this year. Of course, I don't need to tell you that Kyle Connor's 144-point pace isn't going to keep up. And of course, we have the usual suspects there, right? He has some high percentages that aren't sustainable. But it was only two years ago that Kyle Connor pays for 84 points. And I can see him getting there even higher this year if he can keep up the good stuff. This is really, really exciting. And he is definitely entering second round territory, if not first, with the way he's playing. Way to go, Kyle Connor. Only 24 years old also. Drafted in 2015. At like I think it was like 17th overall. It was like after that trio of Boston bl- uh, missed picks. Uh, and then I think it was like Connor that came soon after that and Matt Barzal. So uh, not sorry to rub it into Boston fans there. Okay, uh, let's stay in Canada. Let's go to Toronto now, my hometown, where Petr Mrazek finally got his second start for the Leafs yesterday after missing some time with injury. And he picked up his first win in the 5-4 third period goal fest versus Detroit. It was like a pretty tight game until the third. And then... A bunch of players were doing well, including Joe Valeno, uh, but Mrazek was able to stop enough of the pucks to get the win there 5-4. to four. Like I said, not the best rate stats, as you'd expect. He only stopped 27-31, of 31, but hey, he got the job done. Uh, while Mrazek was away, Jack Campbell has picked up where he left off from last year pretty much. He has a 9-18 save percentage in his seven games, so he's been really solid. Brian, do you think Campbell did enough in Mrazek's absence to establish himself as the starter for the time being? Or do you think now that Mrazek is back, we should be expecting them to be like a 50-50 or close to that tandem like we were kind of expecting going into the season my hunch is that toronto over the course of the season is gonna see roughly 50 50 deployment between morazic and campbell i could see one of them getting a run of several games that will eventually be offset by seeing the other one get a run of games Uh, but at this point I, i think toronto is likely to give just whoever's winning Uh, the net like they're in desperation mode in Toronto right they'll go with the guy getting them wins and I could see every imaginable mix of timeshares in the crease being in the realm of possibility in Toronto so I think if you're trying to weigh what these guys are worth to your fantasy roster right now Mrazek and Campbell 
are both likely to be tandem. Like I would value them as tandem guys. Uh, and then if they are, if they happen to be available in your free agency, then you might just want to try and catch one as they go on a run. But I don't get the sense you're going to be able to pick one and commit to them all year long because I don't see Toronto doing that either. Right. Yeah. Definitely what you're saying makes sense. I just have a hunch. And with goalies, it's so hard to predict. So I'm not saying this is like something I'm like super certain of. I just have a hunch that Mrazek is not as good as Campbell and Campbell will earn the job and be like the starter before too long. I agree with you that they probably will try to do 50-50. But like you said, like they're going to go with the hot hand. And my hunch is that Campbell will end up getting more starts. I wonder if now's a good time to try to make a trade for Jack Campbell. Say like, oh, Mrazek's back. I guess Campbell's like not as valuable anymore. Let me give you whoever. I, I don't know. I'll try to think of a name as we go through the show. It's just a hunch. So I don't know. I'll also say I have the same hunch that Campbell is a better goalie than Morazic. However, we've seen that the Leafs don't, I think they'd rather not play Campbell a whole lot and give him a number one workload right. because he's injury prone and he seems to operate best when he does get regular rest. So even if Campbell is the better goalie, I don't think that guarantees him a share of the workload that's more than 55%. Yeah, that's fair. I guess it depends how bad things go for the Leafs. If they get to a point where they really need to win games to stay in the playoff hunt, obviously that's a different story. But obviously we're not, hopefully, in that type of panic mode just yet. By the way, congrats to Morgan Riley. New eight-year, $7.5 million AAV extension. I'm telling you, Brian, I was not expecting that. I thought the Leafs were pretty tight against the cap, but I guess they've added another huge contract to that mix. Uh, and obviously then the hopes of like Rasmus Sandin or maybe even someone in the future like Topi Niemela. You know, a lot of people have been starting to discuss who's going to take over once Morgan Riley leaves because the Leafs will obviously not be able to afford him who's going to be the next power play quarterback well forget it i guess in your dynasty leagues i think rasmus sandin just took a huge hit with morgan riley getting this contract uh, it's going to be riley's job to lose for quite a long time now Brian, how do you feel about riley now that this deal is done he has five assists in nine games so far last year he paced for around 52 points which is solid not amazing like remember when he put up 72 points back in 2018-19 do you think like that's definitely something that we shouldn't expect him to ever come close to repeating that was just a you know a good luck year or do you think riley still has it in him to be more than this like 50-ish point guy and actually be like a 70 plus elite defenseman this is something we've definitely covered a lot on the show over the last few years and my answer has always been uh, that morgan riley is not uh, someone built to hit those 72 point heights that he hit that one year he shot 10 percent that season which he's never come close to doing since i think 50 points is what you're hoping from him uh, and also keep in mind there's always a chance toronto splits their power play units too though i i don't think it's terribly likely to happen in the near future but we did see that split impact riley's upside for a little while there too so i don't think he's anyone who has super sky high fantasy upside it's nice that he gets to work with what should be one of the most dangerous power plays in the league for you know a long time assuming that toronto keeps him for the duration of that contract but i'm not thinking that he is like he's not quite an elite power play quarterback but he is someone who's you know assured the job for now or so it seems, and works with some really talented personnel. So all he's got all that going for him. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. So yeah, maybe on a really good year, he might get up to, you know, 55, but probably that's around what we're going to be expecting for these next few years. Uh, okay, one more outjury, then we'll uh, switch over to the sad news. Uh, Max Domi returned to Columbus on Friday. Uh, he was on the lo- third line, like second power play, barely played. Uh, Columbus played again today, and Max Domi, once again, played only around 13 minutes and 55 seconds. He did have better line mates, though. Looks like he was playing with Bjorkstrand and Roslovic, and the Blue Jackets won that game 4-3, to three, and I'm looking now, no points for Domi, two shots, 
wasn't on the top power play. I don't know. Is there anything here with Max Domi? Uh, my friend John Reed was asking in our Discord if Max Domi is going to be worth holding this year. And most people said probably not. And I think I agree with them. Uh, also, next week, Columbus plays only twice and both versus Colorado. So I really can't see any reason why you'd be holding Max Domi in any but the m- deepest, deepest of leagues. Yeah, Max Domi's a super frustrating guy to hold because it seems like the offensive upside is there, but the full 100% both sides of the ice game is never there enough for him to actually a capitalize when he does like when he does have offensive opportunities and uh, to actually stay in the good graces of his coaches now that he's been through so many teams. So I think Max Domi's worth a flyer, but you really need to temper your expectations as you have for every Columbus Blue Jacket centerman this season. And as we ran through them all last week, wondering, like, why isn't one of these guys stepping up? I think Domi might have an edge on the pack as being offensively talented, but I think whatever edge he might have is washed out by his defensive liability, sadly. So, yeah, I could see, like, Domi's someone I would want to take a flyer on. I wouldn't want to hold him and wait a few days uh, while the Blue Jackets aren't even playing. But once they are, if you've got a spot on your roster and you want to try him out, give him a short tryout, but keep it short. Yeah, I honestly like only do that, in my opinion, if Boone Jenner is not available, because he's the one I'd want definitely more. He scored another goal today. He's playing with Line and Voracek, which I think are, is the top line. And he's also getting the most power play time. So and, and plus, he also hits and blocks. So if you're playing in a multi-category league, especially, but even if not, give me Boone Jenner first. And then sure, maybe check if Roslovic is available. And if not, maybe you go Domi. I don't know. I'm not even into him at all. But I know what you're saying, Brian. Like, he potentially has the most offensive upside. But we've thought that for quite a few years. And obviously, that's yeah. starting to diminish. Yeah, I'm not getting my hopes up at all just to be clear he's someone you can stream in to see what happens because we don't know for sure it's not gonna work but it seems likely that it's not going to work (laughs) exactly okay so brian we've got injuries and then we're gonna do hot streaks and cold streaks we basically still got a lot to do we're gonna get to all that in just a sec you're listening to keeping carlson all right, we are back. By the way, uh, before we get to injuries, we've gotten the updated Rangers lines for today, and it is the same as the ones we reported from their last game, which makes sense. They did win 4 nothing, so uh, maybe we'll even give more Rangers updates as we go as this game is about to start. But yeah, it's still Lafreniere on line three, Kako with Panarin, and then Goudreau with Zibanejad. Okay, so Brian, we're going to injuries now. We've got to start in Colorado. We've already got Joel here in the chat saying JT Comfer is a stud. Like, How did he even know that we were going to talk about Colorado? Does he have access to our show notes before we even shared them? I don't know. That's a perk for the patrons by the way to get access to our show notes but we generally share it after the show but yeah we'll get to confer in just a second joel but first we got to talk about the injuries both Rantanen and Burakovsky, both day-to-day, didn't stop the Avs from beating the Wild on Saturday 4-1 to to get to a 4-4 and record, which is not what I was expecting, right? I thought the Avalanche would be one of the top teams in the league, but I think that they'll slowly get there, though not if they're without some of their top players. Hopefully, Rantanen and Burakovsky will both be back soon. Like, Rantanen was just a game-day decision on Thursday, then he didn't play, and then Saturday he didn't play, and Burakovsky, I guess, tweaked something in that Saturday game. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Colorado plays next on Wednesday against Columbus, one of of only two games in the week, both against Columbus. Uh, but if they're not back, then JT Comfer becomes even more appealing than he's already been, as he ended up on Saturday playing on the top line with McKinnon and Landeskog with Burakovsky and Rantanen out. And Comfer scored two goals on Thursday versus St. Louis. He had two assists on Saturday. He's now up to eight points in eight games on the season after he has four in his last two. He's also been on the top power play all season long. So, Brian, are we at a point where... Okay, first of all, 
goes without saying, right? If Ranton and Burkowski are both out on Wednesday and Comfer's on the top line and the top power play playing with McKinnon, yeah, I, I don't even need to ask you that if you stream in JT Comfer, of course. But let's say the injuries resolve themselves, but Comfer still remains on that top power play. Is he getting to the point where he's maybe not even just a streamer, but potentially even a long-term hold after he's started the season with eight points in eight games? He's never been more than a 40-point guy before. But from what I recall, he's never been a line two uh, power play one guy before. He's been getting great deployment all season, and he's clearly uh, making it work for him. So I did some digging, Elon, and I think JT Comfer was a line two power play one guy through parts of 2018-19. And that season, he put up nine power play points and paced for 40 points total on the year, which is to say he's had some opportunity before and he didn't go so far with it. I don't think JT Comfer is like the super talented guy waiting to break out. I think we basically know who he is, but you're right that if that he does have this new deployment and it holds, then he is worth reconsidering a little bit. And I think maybe the way to think about JT Comfer is that uh, he has Kalorn, Alex Kalorn type upside. And that might be the best case scenario for him. So you say, okay, if he holds top power play deployment, maybe he gets 50 points in that role, in which case he's still a streamer type in most leagues, but a, a good streamer if he's on that uh, top power play in Colorado. One guy, if you don't mind me going off on a s- small tangent here in Colorado, who's doing really well this season, who I don't feel anyone's really talking about is Nassim Kadri who's got three goals and three assists for six points in eight games, averaging two and a half shots per game, nearly 19 minutes a night, including 21 minutes in his last game, which included top power play time for Kadri too. Of course, there were some injuries and that may or may not actually continue. But this is just to say that Kadri's having a good year after a rough season last year where he had lots of shots but low shooting percentage and uh, it ultimately added up to a sub 50 point pace which made him fantasy irrelevant but I still think this year the shots are still coming and the percentage is going to regress I think Kadri still has 55 60 point upside the same that he had in his first year in Colorado so if you're asking me which of these two I would rather have on my team I would see if Nazem Kadri's available to add to your fantasy team before going ahead and adding JT Comfort. If Kadri's gone, then yeah, you might want to. That that might be the kind of league where JT Comfort is valuable. But I just wanted to point out that I like Kadri. He's doing well. You love Kadri. I feel like this happens once or twice a season that anytime Kadri starts doing something, you're the first to bring it up. Uh, of course, a big difference between Kadri's 55, 60 point season the first year in Colorado was he was on the top power play and now he's been bumped. So I would assume that means his upside is somewhat limited. Obviously, he's doing pretty decently so far. Uh, but yeah, you would take Kadri over Comfer, even if they're on the same line, but Comfer's on the top power play? I would. I have right. more faith in Kadri. And I still think he, he could still end up on the top power play. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Colorado, like I said, it's four and four. Not the most amazing start, so maybe they shake things up at some point. But they're going in the right direction after that last game. Anyways, okay, let's go now to L.A. So Ben and Lewis talked about the Kings D situation on the last short shifts, and already things have changed. So good thing we do multiple shows a week here on Keeping Carlson. So they talked about how Sean Walker's out for the season. Drew Doughty's out long term. But when they were talking, they were talking about Alex Edler being on the top power play. He got first crack on PP1 on Thursday. But on Saturday, Edler was bumped not only from the top power play, but also from the second power play. They were like, I don't think this is working with Edler on the power play. Instead, the Kings called up a fellow named Kale Clegg, who manned the top power play, and then he picked up a power play assist on a Kaliev power play goal in the 5-2 win. And then LA played again today. And guess what? 
Another power play assist for Kale Clegg. So that's a two for two so far in games for this Kale Clegg on the second power play. So he's definitely someone that people should be looking out for. Sorry, I said second power play. I should say second point on the first power play, the one with Kopitar, the one you want to have the player on. Of course, we should also mention that this guy, Matt Roy, has been on the other power play unit. And he actually had a power play assist of his own from the second unit on Saturday. And he also had an even strength assist. So he also had two points over the weekend. Uh, Matt Roy is getting a lot more ice time than Clegg. And obviously... Uh, with that comes more peripherals, more blocks, hits, shots, all of that. Clag seems, it's only been two games, seems like someone who might be just power play assist and nothing else. So I guess it depends what you're looking for in your league. But yeah, if you need D and you want someone with uh, all of a sudden exposure to Kopitar and company, then take a look at Kale Clag. And if you need some peripherals, take a look at Matt Roy because he's going to see a lot of ice time with Walker and Dowdy still out for a long time. Let's start with Kale Clegg here. Uh, it, it's funny, right? Because when Doughty went out, we're like, well, we think maybe Sean Walker is going to get a look on the top power play. And then Walker went out and we're like, okay, well, there's Matt Roy and Alex Edler. And the answer ultimately after Doughty's injury is that uh, it was none of the above. It's Kale Clegg who's getting a shot up on the top power play, which is fun, especially coming straight from a call up from the minors, right? Uh, if, if you're not familiar with Kale Clegg, he's a former second rounder from 20. 2016, who's now uh, in his age 23 season, and he's been a half point per game player in the AHL for the last three seasons. And this season, he got off to a great start there, four points in five games before getting the call to LA. Uh, as you mentioned, Elon, no shots for Clegg, but it's great to see him on the top power play and producing. So if you're just looking for points, I think this could be a good guy to have while Drew Doughty is healing. As for Matt Roy, I'm not counting on regular production from him. I mean, he is going to be on the ice a lot. It might be, you know, you could hope for Darnell Nurse-like production, right? Except Kopitar isn't Connor McDavid, but he's still a good guy to spend a lot of minutes on the ice with. So that's what you're hoping for with Matt Roy. I don't think a bunch of points are going to come, but his minutes have risen to 21 minutes a night, and I imagine he's going to be relied upon to eat a lot of minutes with Drew Doughty and Sean Walker out of the lineup, which would lend itself to an uptick in his peripherals and maybe, yeah, a couple more points along the way because of all the time he's spending on the ice with, hopefully, Anze Kopitar. Uh, His peripherals, by the way, for Matt Roy, they've never been huge. So even an increase there doesn't make him, like, for sure rosterable. So he's not someone you're running out and grabbing, in my opinion, but he's worth a look in deep leagues where that stuff can already be hard to find. And then maybe in shallower leagues, you're looking into stream. You're looking to stream Matt Roy in uh, if you need a couple blocks or shots here and there if you want to try and take a dice roll on a point and there just aren't a lot of great D options out there. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of hard to like judge in terms of, you know, you're saying like his peripherals have never been too high, but he's also generally been like a sub 20 minute per game player, like a third pairing. All of a sudden now he's getting vaulted up to bigger minutes. So we'll see if that changes anything. But I agree with you. Obviously not someone to go too crazy about. Clegg seems to be in the more exciting spot. And probably in the end, it's like neither of these guys, like in the end, we're talking about Kale Clegg and Matt Roy. And for a lot of people listening, are like, I'm not going to add one of these players to my fantasy team, but you should definitely have them on your radar because these are the best options that LA has at the moment. Okay, let's go now to Carolina, where Nino Niederreiter is going to be out a while. That's the quote uh, from the coach. He has a lower body injury that he suffered on Friday versus Chicago. So today, for Carolina, I'm just bringing up their lines, and they were rolling with Svechnikov, Fast, and Jordan Stahl, Trocek, Martinuk, and Nichas, and then Aho with 
Teravainen, and it looks like Kokaniemi, but then they switched to Svechnikov. So I guess the lines were shaking up a little bit because, yeah, for a while in this game versus Arizona, it like Arizona was keeping Carolina from scoring goals, which was not what I was expecting. I guess uh, Karol Vejmelka or Vejmelka had himself a game, right? 37 saves on 39 shots. So don't forget about that guy, by the way. I don't know. Sometimes Arizona's going to get blown up, but sometimes you're going to get a lot of saves from Vejmelka, who seems like the only good goalie on the team at the moment. Uh, but anyways, back to Carolina. Now, I guess with Nino Niederreiter out, the lines are going to be a little bit in flux. We'll have to wait and see. And I don't really know too much to say about that. But I did want to ask you about Martin Nechas, like before this game even happened today, because he was someone that was driving me crazy. Carolina scored six goals on Friday versus Chicago, and Nechas somehow didn't get any points at all. And that was for his fourth straight game of not getting a point. Uh, if you recall, Brian, I made a trade in the couple. I traded Connor Garland for Martin Nechas. Chas, and I was starting to get really stressed about it. You told me on the last episode, don't worry about it. Connor Garland is overperforming. And it turns out, at least so far, it's only been a week, but uh, you've been right. Connor Garland has gone cold and he's been bumped to the bottom six. So at least I don't have to feel too bad about that trade. And also today, Martin Natchez finally made me feel even better about the trade because he produced, he scored a goal and he had a power play assist in this game versus Arizona. So I don't know if this question is still relevant to people, but I think it probably is. Like, what was going on with Natchez, right? Because this is a guy who had a 63 point pace last year and this year is not looking anything close to that obviously these two points today make a big difference when it's such a small sample size in the season so far but yeah what are your thoughts on martin nechas and is he going to be able to approach what he did last year yeah it's a tough one with martin nechas I'm, I'm actually not sure exactly how to read his season so far at five on five his points participation is down like half of what it normally is uh, and he hasn't, or going into today's game, he hadn't scored a goal yet at five on five. But he's also lost two minutes a night at five on five. And there's a lot of goals going in while he's on the ice. He's just not getting in on them. And he's only taken six shots at five on five to date. So, you know, there's some of his struggles can be explained by variance. And others are like, well, this coach isn't playing him a lot. And when he's on the ice, he's deferring a lot. Um, on the power play, uh, he has, uh, he's been on the ice for two goals, uh, hasn't gotten a point on any of them, has two shots himself. Neither one has gone in. You know, I, I think for Natchez, he's a great guy to pick out for the show in a way, because I, I like getting these guys who I, I don't know. I'm not sure why Natchez has been struggling to date. I can't just say it's bad variants. And I wonder if maybe he's just being challenged by Rod Brindamore uh, to be a slightly different or better player. And this is the way it's panning out so far, which hopefully would pay dividends in the long run. But in the short term, that's pain for anybody having NHS on their roster. So I think for now, the message is to just stay tuned. Um, If NHS's shots and ice time don't pick back up, instead of thinking of him as a 60-point guy, you might have to think of him as a 50-point guy, which is concerning, but I am still holding out hope that everything at the end of the day is going to be okay for Martin Natchez. And by the way, you mentioned Nita Ryder is going to be out a while. I think it's at least worth mentioning that Seth Jarvis, uh, Carolina's 13th overall pick in 2020, which uh, they got a first-rounder back from Toronto when they took on Patrick Marlowe's contract, which they then bought out. Uh, and that has given them Seth Jarvis, who played his first game tonight, played about 10 minutes. I don't expect much fantasy production from him this year, uh, but it's nice to see him get some early reps, and he is somebody worth watching in keeper formats. 
Yeah, by the way, not only did he play today, he played 10 minutes and he got an assist. He had a power play assist on a Brett Pesci power play goal that also Nichas finally had his first power play point of the season. So yeah, I, I'm already getting more excited about Nichas because Brian, he also took four shots today. So there you go. Everything you're asking for has been happening. And yeah, uh, Seth Jarvis is going to hopefully be an exciting piece for Carolina in the future. But yeah, I wouldn't get too excited about him now just because those minutes were really low. And like who his most common line mates were Stephen Lawrence and Derek Stepan. So he wasn't being used obviously on an offensive line but uh, things could change right so we'll see if Carolina shakes things up and obviously if all of a sudden Jarvis like it wouldn't be the most crazy thing if let's say Cockney gets bumped down and Seth Jarvis gets bumped up and gets a chance to play with Ajo stranger things have happened so definitely be watching game day lines on Twitter gamedaylinetweets.com to keep up to date with the latest line combos from the Carolina Hurricanes as things move forward without Nino Niederreiter I guess since I brought up Garland let's just like close the book on him or not close the book but <laughs> tell the full story here like I said not only is he pointless in three games but he's been bumped from the Horvat Pearson line by Nils Hoaglander and Garland's been playing on the third line in the last couple of games with Pod Colson and Dickinson. Are you at a point, Brian, where if you had Garland in the Cupful or in some other league that has a similar depth, would you be close to dropping Garland? Or would that be too extreme of a reaction after what basically has just been a bad week, though you did predict that he would slow down? So if you, I don't know, how does the math work in your head? Like if a player has a bad week that you predicted, then do you say, okay, well, then everything is going as I expected and he's going to continue to not be worthwhile? Or do you think he's still someone you have to hold because maybe he does get back into the top six? Like if he's just going to be bottom six, power play too he's not that interesting to me but who knows how long that'll last it's really hard to know exactly how the Canucks plan to use Connor Garland full season it's not like things are going great in Vancouver right now so this could go any number of ways for Connor Garland but as I said last week the bottom line that I'm looking at is that Garland has really shown himself to be most valuable when he's throwing shots on net. That's what he did in Arizona for his most fantasy-relevant stretch. Uh, but with uh, without those shots, Garland looks like a mid-six type of guy, um, especially when he's getting like poor deployment. Um, that said, Garland did put up six shots Saturday night in 15 minutes of ice time against Edmonton. That was after a game where he barely played 10 minutes. So I think he got stapled to the bench for a while at one point. So there is maybe some daylight if you have Connor Garland, if you didn't sell high and you're hoping he'll bounce back. I think there's at least a sign that, hey, there was a a lesson taught and then he responded with a big night and you just have to hope he builds off that. That said, I don't think the upside is that high. Even if he is in the top six or top power play, uh, we were thinking that the upside you know, was unknown. Like, and I know projections preseason were being thrown out that, hey, he could be a 70 point player. And I, I think that's, I think we've seen enough to mark that as being a, a bridge too far for Garland to get to. I think 60 points would be a really successful season for him. And I'm still skeptical that he can get there. If I'm measuring him up against Natchez, I still would drop him sooner than Natchez because I think Connor Garland's chances of reaching his upside, which is probably 60 points, is lower than Natchez's uh, chances of reaching his upside, which is probably just above 60 points. Right, that's fair. And yeah, you said that maybe if Garland gets on the top power play, I think it's going to take an injury, right? I don't think that Garland is bumping Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, or JT Miller from PP1. Maybe there's even another player who would get there ahead of him. So yeah, he's going to have to at least get to the top six for me to be fantasy relevant. But let's give him a couple more weeks, then we could check back in and say if he's a snoozer or not. I agree with you. I wouldn't drop him just yet. The one guy that maybe you do drop on Vancouver could be Oliver ekman Larson, right? 
Yeah, I was actually going to say I wouldn't be opposed to dropping Garland in some formats. Is oh. If he's not in the top six and he's not shooting. I mean, he did have that six-shot game. So I'd wait another game or two and see if anything does come out, come of that or build from it. But if not, I, I think he might be a snoozer pretty quickly. Oh, no. Okay, and then I was going to bring up OEL. So let's just mention he's pointless in seven games after putting up points in his first couple of games. Uh, he's shooting a lot. Nothing is converting. Curious to know, for people who have OEL in their leagues, is he someone that you'd consider dropping for, say, a Kale Clag if you wanted to make a swap and get a top power play defenseman? Uh, I don't know. It depends on what you're looking at, looking for, because Eggman Larson, his shots are back. They're coming. It's great. And I say they're back, but... They're actually really, really great compared to what they've been for a long, long time. Ekman Larson is nearly doubling his shot rates from the last several years. So that's fun. And he is a great way to get some shots from a D-spot, which isn't easy to do. So I think um, Ekman Larson offers some value depending on what you're looking for. And I think probably based on the, the shot volume that OEL is providing, he probably could have had another goal by now and perhaps another couple assists too, because his points participation rates are lower than I'd expect them to be. I still think this all probably comes out to maybe a 40 point season for Ekman Larson if things break right for him. But with the shots he's putting up, that makes him more appealing to hold even when the points aren't coming and while you're waiting patiently for him to slowly rack up the 35-40 points that we're hoping to see from him this season. Um, But I do think he deserves better than the two points he's mustered up in nine games so far this season. Plus, he's got those shots. So I actually think I would prefer, and this isn't something I, I, like, I'm kind of surprised to hear myself saying this, I think I'd prefer Ekman Larson to Kale Clegg. All right, that's fair. Yeah, that's not like a too extreme of a statement. But yeah, OEL is definitely on my radar for someone that might be in snoozer territory. But you're saying with the shots, maybe things are going to change soon. And maybe he'll, some of those shots start going in the net if he could keep it up. All right, let's go to Anaheim now. Rough injury, right? They're going to be without Ricard Raquel for a while. He went down versus Buffalo on Thursday. He's now on the injured reserve. He had a nice start to the year, at least for goals, right? Four goals in eight games, no assists, only half point per game. It's pretty good if you're getting a goal every second game. But you know what? The Ducks are still scoring just fine without Ricard Raquel. All of a sudden, the Ducks have like nine players who I'd be interested in having on my fantasy team or at least interested in hearing your takes on. Like, there's so many players that have been crushing it this year. Of course, at the top of the list, Troy Terry, nine points in nine games. That was going into today versus Montreal. Anaheim won 4-2 to two against Montreal. I'm guessing, of course, Troy Terry, another goal for him. So he just keeps it up. Now he's got 10 points in 10 games. Kevin Shattenkirk, eight points in nine games going into today. Two assists. Like nothing. Shattenkirk's now above a point per game. So, like, just as we expected, right? Brian going into the season. Jacob Silverberg apparently missed today, uh, went on the COVID protocol. He has eight points in eight games or in nine games himself. Uh, Isaac Lundestrom, seven points in nine games. Henrique, seven points in nine games. That was going into today. And I know Adam Henrique had himself a big game. Yep, another goal and assist for Adam Henrique. So, like, all these guys, I'm not even done. Like, Ryan Getzlaff, uh, he had another point today and he had four points his last four games. So, he got five points in five games for Ryan Getzlaff. That's leaving out the guy by the way, who everyone expected to be the hottest duck to roster the season, Trevor Zegras. He had two goal and assist games in his last three going into today, which is pretty sweet. And Zegras today, no points today, unfortunately, for Trevor Zegras, only 12 minutes and 12 seconds. All of a sudden, it's like, we thought, oh, if there's going to be any offense on Anaheim, it's going to have to come from Zegras. And Zegras has been solid, but they, that's not the case, right? All of a sudden, they have a ton of sharpshooters who are putting up points. Uh, Sonny Milano, is someone who I don't even think was getting regular ice time on the team, but recently he's been moved up to the Zgras Henrique line, and he had three points in his last three games going into today. And Sonny Milano, an assist 
on a goal from Adam Henrique on the power play. And Shattenkirk got the others. Oh, my God. Like, Brian, it's just like all these players that are probably still available for a lot of people in free agency. And if not, then there are people who that players that have already been added. Now people wonder if they're going to be able to expect this to keep going. So I know this is like a lot of names I've thrown at you. But maybe we could just give a quick rundown kind of like you did over in Dallas. Like Terry, Shattenkirk, Henrique. Gets laugh like are these players that we think could, could like obviously I don't need you to tell me that you know they have a slightly high percentages and they're not going to be point per game the rest of the season but you know like fantasy relevant people who we're going to still be ha- excited to have on our rosters you know in a couple weeks say a month from now are uh, how how do you feel about these players I feel the way like I'm trying to convince myself to feel differently than how I felt about Anaheim players in general and the one I feel the most differently about is Troy Terry and the way he's going. Remember when I cheekily said the Trevor Zegras hype was like Troy Terry hype coming into the season? I was like, well, look at where Troy Terry went. Well, look at Troy Terry now. He looks better than he ever has. He's not blowing his past self out of the water, but he definitely appears to have taken at least an incremental step forward, which is great news for the 24-year-old former fifth-round pick of the Ducks. If I was looking... This player's number, right? This is the test, and what I said about Anaheim. It's hard to find. It's hard to. It's been hard for a long time to get excited about anyone there. If I was looking blind at Troy Terry's numbers without knowing his name or team, I'd be getting excited. I think, and and so I'm trying to square that with my current feelings on both Troy Terry and the Anaheim Ducks, both the versions of both that I know. Could this be a 60 point season? Honestly, if he keeps up what he's doing, yes. I think Troy Terry's worth a shot here to see how far he can run with this. As for the others in the group, Lundestrom is someone who jumped on my radar a couple weeks ago when he put up a few points and then went quiet and just put up another few points, which is great. Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, Kevin freaking Shattenkirk. This guy just doesn't stop. He's up to 10 points in 10 games now, only 14 shots in those 10 games, and he's shooting over 20% with three goals on those 14 shots. He also has five power play points from, I'm pretty sure, the second unit. So, uh, like, none of this is sustainable for Kevin Shattenkirk, but I've said that for an entire season before when he was with Tampa. So I'm not going to write him off completely, but I will mostly write him off. I will say, like, ride it while he's hot, uh, which I think I'm, I'm going to say about all these guys. You know, you've got Silverberg and Lundestrom who have this high on-ice shooting percentage that's helping them. You have Ryan Getzlaff who's got 100% points participation on the season for him to get to where he is with his point streak. All of these guys in Anaheim have something unsustainably high in their numbers, which is not surprising. But I also am not going to say, just based on that, that I'm ruling them out from being fantasy relevant at this point. I, I can't totally put my finger uh, on on what's whatever is happening in Anaheim, but I'm going to be looking to over the next week or two to try and figure out, is there finally some value there? You know, someone like Adam Henrique, who you were getting excited about, we've seen him come and go so many times that I, I don't think I'm going to change my mind on him, but I'm, I'm reopening the case here on Henrique and everyone else in Anaheim to see exactly what's going to happen with them over the next couple weeks. And I, I invite you to do the same, to just hit the reset button and not write somebody off just because you see them play for Anaheim. Be like, hey, maybe I'm going to roll with this, especially if Troy Terry is someone who's around the top of your free agent wire right now and he's available. He's someone I'd like to watch for the next week or two and see just how far he can take this. 
yeah, really hard to not just want to jump on Terry for sure if you can. And then I think after that, you know, like Zgras and Henrique are interesting. If you've missed the boat on all those guys, the one player who's almost for sure available to you that I would take a look at is Sonny Milano because he is now playing with Zgras and Henrique. And so, and he's been getting points in each game so far since he got on that line. Brian's yeah. like smirking as if like this is a stupid I'm idea, not... but he's gotten a point in every game yeah, with Zgras no, and Henrique. And this is it. Like I'm, I'm like I'm holding, I'm, I'm reserving judgment here. Sonny Milano has never been someone with a lot of like he's had a lot of chances in the league uh, he's been around he's kind of like this journeyman guy who occasionally gets a turn in the top six and then quickly leaves it and then the way you said well he's playing with Zgras and Henrique and we haven't seen much from either of them up until very recently so sure uh like go ahead and stream them in I, I'm like <laughs> I said I'm, I'm keeping an open mind here but of all the names you mentioned Sonny Milano is, is the one that I, I least believe in Okay, yeah, I'm not saying Sonny Milano is going to win you your league, but he, I think it's uh, you know interesting for now, especially if you're like feeling some FOMO on missing out on all these ducks. By the way, I'm seeing that uh, Zgras took a bad hit in this game today, and then he missed some time, then he did come back. So that's why his ice time was probably a little lower than we would have expected in this game. So don't read too much into that. And hopefully Zgras is fine. And Cedric Paquette, I'm seeing that he might get some supplemental discipline for this bad hit. So I haven't seen it. I'm going to have to go take a look at that after our show. All right, Brian, so we're, we're still in injuries here. And hopefully uh, Zgras isn't joining that list but one player that is joining the injured list is tj Oshie. Uh, we just talked about him last week he had a slow start to the season and he responded we gave him the kk bump you know the classic thing right where we used to say does this player suck and then all of a sudden they'd be good and people would like ask us to ask that on the show well we basically did that for Oshie. he responded with a hat trick versus ottawa then an assist versus detroit but in the end maybe we did jinx him because now he's weak to eat with a lower body injury after blocking a shot in the third versus detroit so easy come easy go for tj Oshie. With Oshi out, here were the lines on Friday in the 2 nothing win over Arizona for Washington. They were going with, of course, Ovi, Kuznetsov, and Tom Wilson. And then it was Connor McMichael with Daniel Sprong and Anthony Mantha. That was the second line. And then, I can tell you the other lines, I guess, uh, Eller, Haglin, Hathaway, Connor Sherry with Brett Leeson and Henrik Lapierre. I was interested to see Brett Leeson there, just because I have him in my Dynasty League, and I guess that was his first game. So he didn't do anything, though. So I don't know. Maybe one day he'll be something for me. Uh, the top power plays was interesting, and Ben and Lewis talked about this on Thursday, but it wasn't Anthony Mantha on the top power play, even with a wide open spot with Oshi out. It's Kuznetsov, Wilson, Ovi, John Carlson, and Connor Sherry as the f- fourth forward on PP1. Like Ben and Lewis were saying, like it's kind of like a double hit to Mantha at this point, right? He loses TJ Oshi as his even strength line mate, and you know that gets downgraded to whoever Daniel Sprung. Again, no offense, but you know TJ Oshi is obviously a level higher, and Mantha still doesn't get on the top power play. So I guess yeah, questions to you for both Sherry and Mantha. First of all, how is Sherry looking to you as a stream while he's there? Uh, Washington plays Monday, Thursday, Saturday next week, so maybe you know you're trying to grab an early game early on. Hard not to like someone playing on the top power play with Ovet and company he has assists in two straight games including a power play assist on wednesday uh then he had a quiet game on friday versus the coyotes and then yeah what should we expect from anthony mantha at this point for the rest of the season like do you think he gets on the top power play at some point and he's like maybe a good buy at the moment or maybe we're looking at a bust here someone who could potentially fall to free agency in a lot of leagues before too long he has five points in eight games which is okay he only has two one or zero shots in each of his last five games so he's not really helping you that much in anything aside from a point here and there and if he's not on the top power play and if his even strength line mates are Connor mcmichael and daniel sprung i'm not sure what there is to love about anthony mantha at the moment Putting the bus tag on Mantha sounds extreme, but I I don't know. I'm also not ruling it out as being legitimate. Anthony Mantha, after all, is in his age 27 season. 
which means that like we've been waiting on him a while. And yeah, he did have that one amazing year so far, 38 points in 43 games. So amazing half a season with Detroit where he went he was on pace for 72 points uh, and, you know, had some good power play time in that season to help him get there and some solid shooting and over three shots per game. Uh, neither of which he's been able to repeat. Anthony Mantha has not repeated his power play uh, deployment from that year, nor has he repeated his shots per game, which are probably kind of tied to one another. But something even more concerning about Mantha this year is, you know, going to Washington, you think he had a fresh start, but he lost, like he he's lost time compared to how much five on five ice that Mantha got last season after going to Washington. Like he's seen 14 and a half minutes in Detroit, Saw 14 and a half minutes again in Washington for, you know, the like month he spent there during the regular season. This season so far, Manta is seeing just over 11 minutes a night at five on five. These are the lowest ice times of his whole career. Even when we thought he was being sort of shoved aside and mistreated in Detroit, we're seeing even worse for him in Washington, especially uh, not getting to touch that top power play unit again. So it's really frustrating because we feel like Anthony Mantha has been this guy who has this potential to break out. And yet uh, this is the second team in a row. I mean, two of two teams now where he seems to have played himself out of favor early on. If we want to read into ice times and power play roles as being ways that coaches are rewarding slash punishing him for whatever he's doing. So I am getting pretty down on Anthony Mantha. And I don't think I'm holding out. Like, I think we're, I think I'm changing my mode on him where it's like, yeah, I think he's going to be good. Just needs a chance. And now it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to need to see something more before I reinvest in Anthony Mantha. I'm going to divest a little bit in what to expect from him. As for Connor Sherry, uh, as you mentioned, his deployment is okay. So why not? give him a try and see what happens. I think, uh, you know, anybody playing on the top unit with Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Tom Wilson and John Carlson is probably in decent shape to maybe luck their way into a point. I don't think Connor Sherry is going to be like a really important part of that top power play unit, nor do I, nor am I very sure he's going to be there for very long. But while he is uh, in a deep enough league, he could be worth a stream. Yeah, maybe for Monday, then you drop him. I wouldn't hold him like from Monday to Thursday even. But yeah, obviously depends on your league. All right, Brian, so let's end this show off with some hot streaks and cold streaks. I say end this show off, but I actually have a bunch of players I wanted to ask you about. So we'll see how far we can get here. Going to the hot streaks in the league so far. Let's go to some goalies. We have to start with Jacob Markstrom. OMG, what an incredible run for Markstrom at the moment. His 20 safe shutout over the Flyers on Saturday was his third shutout in four games. And the non-shutout game was a one goals against win versus the Rangers at the beginning of the week so markstrom's just had the most amazing week ever if i had markstrom in my fantasy league and then i won my matchup by a lot i would be like man i wish you could have saved some for the future but who knows maybe he still has maybe there's still more to give but this was an amazing week last week we talked about frederick anderson and his amazing start to the year right now markstrom and anderson lead the way in the keeping carlson altipatra fantasy league you know for our goalie fantasy points it's uh Markstrom with 64.3 points and Anderson right behind with 62.9 points respectively. Not the two goalies I would have expected to be at the top of the list, but that just goes to show how hard it is to predict goalies year in, year out. Uh, the remaining goalies above 55 cupful points, if you're curious, the list continues with Sorokin, Bobrovsky, Shostjorkin, Binnington, and Demko. So those are basically your top goalies so far to start the season in basically all leagues. And you've got Vass and Hele just down at 45, right? Neither of our two clear 
top shot number one goalies. They're not getting too many points so far, but obviously there's still a lot of season to go. Anyway, back to Markstrom. Last year, he also started the season really strong, right? He had a 925 save percentage through 12 games, and then he kind of crashed down to earth in a bad way. He was playing well below 900 save percentage for the whole middle part of the season, and then he kind of ended on a decent note right at the end there. But Brian, do you have any concern that this could happen again, or are you confident that this year is going to be different and Markstrom's going to be able to stay consistent? Like, maybe not a shutout every game, but, you know, like, not bother his fantasy managers and continue to put up solid performances, you know, basically for all the games the rest of the year, high-quality star percentage, all that stuff. You know I love me some Jacob Markstrom, right? I know you're teeing me up to feel good about a a call I made before the season that Jacob Markstrom is going to have a good season. One of the reasons I felt that way beyond Markstrom being a good goalie is that he's playing for a Daryl Sutter team. Uh, So I can still say that because Daryl Sutter is, you know, has this reputation for coaching very defensively sound teams, very defense first uh, units. But Even with that, Jacob Markstrom is still outperforming by a lot what an average goalie would be doing facing the same type of shots that Markstrom has faced. So it's really great. I'm really pumped for Jacob Markstrom. And yeah, of course, you know, I think he's the real deal. Will the whole season look this good? That's impossible. Uh, Getting three shutouts in four games, it's absolutely not going to happen. And there probably will be some rocky points along the road. But hey, That's what happens when you're a goalie in the NHL, and I'm just happy to see Markstrom get off to a solid start, build some confidence, and be the backbone of this Calgary team that has been uh, pretty good. They're having a year. Yeah, and, you know, it's not only Markstrom, right? A lot of these players are doing really well to help them have a nice start to the season. And we've got to give some kudos to Johnny Gaudreau, leading the team with 11 points in eight games so far after scoring a goal versus Philly on Saturday. Gaudreau hasn't had a pointless game since the season opener. And, you know... Uh, recently my memory of Gaudreau is as being kind of a disappointing guy but it was only three seasons ago 2018-19 he put up a 99 point season 36 goals and 99 points in 2018-19 feels like forever ago but that's like not that long ago and that's like an elite superstar season since then he's fallen to more of a 70 point guy over the two COVID shortened seasons but obviously now he's started like the Gaudreau of old in his age 28 season so Brian do you think we've got the 2018-19 Johnny Gaudreau on our hands again or are you seeing anything under the hood to indicate maybe this is unsustainable and he's probably still the 70-point guy that we've seen over the last couple of years. Of course, the year I finally, like for good, give up on Johnny Gaudreau. This is what happens. Although in one league, I, I have Markstrom, Gaudreau, and Elias Lindholm. And man, I'm feeling really good about how, that, how my team is faring, especially where I got them in the draft. But enough about that team. Let's focus on Gaudreau specifically. Everything is going great for him, especially when you see that he has 11 points in eight games. And to get there, he's only picked up one power play point. So that's really good that a lot of this uh, production isn't coming on the power play. He's doing the work at five on five and not relying heavily on power play points, which are still to come. So that's great. And one exciting part of this is that Gaudreau's taking a ton of shots when he is on the power play, even though the points aren't coming, the shots are. And this is something that Gaudreau has never really done to this extent before uh, taking shots the way he's taking shots the way the power play unit set up this year so expect to see those power play points come before long for Johnny Gaudreau if he does keep that up firing away with the man advantage like you're asking about if he if we're seeing the 2018-19 Johnny Gaudreau and I'm so conflicted where to project him the rest of the season he and I have a lot a backstory here and it's really hard for me to look at him with fresh eyes and believe 
But if I'm trying to, you know, robot myself and take a look at, okay, just what's happening here? Here's what I see for Johnny Gaudreau. I'm seeing he's seeing almost one more minute a night at five on five. That's good. He's seeing his shot attempt rates rebound, uh, even though his shot rates at five on five haven't rebounded. Um, his shot attempts have, which means that I think he might actually still get to put up a, a couple more shots than he has so far through the season because he's throwing pucks on net and they're just not reaching there. And like I said, he's also making up for missing any shots by getting a whole bunch on the power play. Goudreau's shooting percentage and points participation rates at five on five are also both high, um, but his on-ice shot attempts uh, are higher than ever, which is really exciting. That means when Goudreau's on the ice, he and his teammates are just firing pucks on net in a way that he has never, even in those glory years with Sean Monaghan and Elias Lindholm, which is really exciting, especially on a Daryl Sutter team. Like this team is more offensive than I would have expected a Daryl Sutter team to be. So if I'm trying to distill this all into meaning something about Johnny Gaudreau, I see his five on five volume is there. The quality doesn't appear to be there yet, but this was the case when Gaudreau was an 85-plus point guy. He, he definitely looks better than the 70-point version of himself. I think I'd have him trending towards 80, and I'm open to letting him nudge that upside higher this season as we watch the, the data and results pile up for another couple weeks. I'm really into Johnny Gaudreau. I'm not like, of course, you could sell really high and be like, hey, it's 100-point Johnny Gaudreau again. I doubt you're going to be able to actually pull that off. So for now, I think just sit tight and be happy with a Johnny Gaudreau that you probably drafted as a 70-point player who's now looking like an 80-point player, and we'll see if he can even push that a little higher. Yeah, I mean, definitely if you could get Ranson in or Barkov for Goudreau, then I guess go for it. But yeah, basically it sounds like what you're saying, Brian, is using your robot brain, you're looking at all the underlying numbers and everything looks like this is the Goudreau from 2018-19. If he could keep it up, that's a whole other story. But so far, so good. So great to hear. Yeah, I'm not saying he's all the way to 18-19, just to be clear, but I am seeing shades of it. And uh, I could believe if I saw another, you know, two to four weeks of this continuing fair yeah and so obviously no one could know until we get more data to feed into our robot here but okay so we were talking about markstrom another goalie that's been looking good lately that's definitely a lot more easy to get in fantasy than markstrom is philip gustafson over in ottawa i want to get your take on him brian because over in ottawa so matt murray is injured again as we discussed last week apparently he's been at practice so he might come back at some point soon anton forsberg has not been great in his stead he's been unable to complete his last two starts letting in four goals on 16 shots versus washington and two goals on three shots versus the range before getting pulled on the flip side this philip gustafson guy has been amazing in his limited action he stopped 32 of 34 in his first start of the season that was back in week one of the fantasy season on the sunday giving jeremy the win over me in tier one of the couple week one where just one less save and i would have won Ugh. oh no i've been banging stuff because i'm so frustrated but anyways i'll just keep going and more more recently gustafson stopped 38 of 39 shots in the 4-1 win over dallas on friday so when he's playing he's doing really well and now looking towards next week's schedule ottawa plays monday tuesday thursday saturday so you know assuming murray is still out got to imagine gustafson and forsberg will split the first two games at chicago and at minnesota 
I wonder if, like, Gustafsson plays better than Forsberg, which so far it's kind of seeming like that could be likely. I wonder if finally the Ottawa decision makers decide to throw Gustafsson in for that Thursday start as well. And all of a sudden you could potentially be streaming in a goalie who's going to get you two starts early in the week. So I'm very curious to see, like, you're in Ottawa. You're feeling the vibes over on Ottawa talk radio and whatever. Are people starting to talk about Philip Gustafsson as being someone that they should try to give more rope to? I saw a quote from the coach saying, like, hey, uh, DJ Smith, right? He was saying, like, we're in the business of winning games, so we might as well play the player who we think is going to help us win games, which is what I'd like to hear from a coach. But of course, the words are one thing, actions are different. Personally, seems to me like Gustafsson is Ottawa's best goalie, and it's not close. So I'm curious to see what you think. So you said, I'm in Ottawa, which, yeah, I am a little more plugged into the Senators than any other team in the league just by what's around me. Uh, but we also are fortunate that we have a listener in Belleville who actually works with the team, like works with developing uh, some of their, some of the Senators young players, the, the guys coming up in the system who I, uh, who I pinged before we went on the air tonight uh, to say, Hey, what did, uh, what'd you learn from your time with Philip Gustafson? And his thoughts were that he thinks that Gustafson is going to get starts with Murray out and he's going to eventually and maybe quickly become the number two behind Matt Murray. He's someone who works really hard uh, and he's like stays really calm and cool when things go wrong and uh, that maybe he's not quite ready to steal the job from Murray, a healthy Matt Murray that is, but this opportunity for Philip Gustafsson here is to decidedly take that number two job from Anton Forsberg and make his first push to be like, hey, I am at least an NHL backup goalie and you know you need someone who's going to have to step in multiple times a year when Murray needs a break or gets hurt, which happens frequently enough. So this is a really good chance for Gustafsson to show what he's all about. It might not be like this season that Gustafsson is, you know, worth, you know, considering as a as a threat to earn a number one job, but it could be the first step in a longer term play for Gustafsson to, you know, finally wedge his way in towards a, a starting role. So I, I hey, and if that's what our buddy in Belleville says, I uh I believe him. Like, it makes sense the way we've seen Gustafsson play, right? It's been really exciting. You said Forsberg couldn't even finish the game twice. Uh, For me, I think Gustafsson starts for as long as he can hold up. So with the Sens playing a back-to-back early this week on Monday and Tuesday, I'm going to be very interested to see how he and they fare. I have Gustafsson. I streamed him in and like a cupful thinking I'm going to get at least one of those starts. And I'm really, really hopeful he holds it together for me. Yeah, and you're saying, like, maybe this isn't the year that he's able to, like, challenge Matt Murray, but you're a lot more confident in me in Matt Murray even being around. Like, he just keeps on getting injured, and that was the story last year as well. So I think that there's a good potential for Gustafsson to start getting a lot of starts moving forward. Obviously, that's wishful thinking if you need a goalie, and you have to be ready to change your mind if it doesn't work out that way. But I think if you're in, like, one of these deep leagues where it's hard to find a goalie, and Gustafsson is out there, I think now's the time to pounce. Get either the Monday or Tuesday game, and then reassess from there. Exactly. And like you said, with Matt Murray out all the time, being the number two goalie in Ottawa is kind of being like the number one goalie for half the season or a 1B. You might end up with the same or a similar workload. So in the short term, until Murray's healthy, definitely like go grab him. Go grab Gustafsson if you need a goalie. Yeah. And also you might look at Ottawa and be like, oh, they haven't been doing that well this year. They're not that great a team. But like they're doing well when Gustafsson plays. So I don't know yet. Like maybe he, he even is a goalie on a somewhat decent-ish team. Now that also has Brady Kachuk now. 
if he plays. If they have a good goalie, obviously that makes a big difference on how successful a team is. Another guy in Ottawa I wanted to ask you about is this Artem Zub character that's been all of a sudden like this peripherals beast with huge time on ice this year for the Sens. Zub has four assists in his last five games, who's giving you points, plus four blocks in each of those games, aside from one of them where he had three blocks. Uh, also, Zub's been playing on the second power play. I'm, I took a look at the league leaders in blocks, and Zub is tied in with for the league lead in blocks with Burns, DeKaiser, and McCabe with 23 blocks, but he's played fewer games than all those guys. In terms of blocks per game, Artem Zub is number one it's, it's in the Zub, league. I've, I've got to say, it's Zub. Zub. I've, I've been enjoying the Zub, but it's Zub. All right, well, let's keep Zubing along here, and I'll know that <laughs> for the future, because it sounds like a player whose name I will need to know, because he's crushing it right now. Do we have the next Chris Russell on our hands? But with offensive upside to boot, maybe is he this season's like Alec Martinez, someone who, you know, was great for peripherals and also pretty decent for points. Like, what should we be expecting for Zoop at this point? I can't imagine how he's not worth grabbing and holding in a league that counts blocks at this point. The blocks have been nice for our Tim Zub. Uh, like you can almost set your watch every game except one this season. He's had three or more blocks. Uh, and the points have been a nice little side effect too of Zub playing more minutes, right? You kind of imagine Zub, uh, like it's funny that you mentioned Chris Russell or Alec Martinez. I mean, Chris Russell block numbers were off the charts in his heyday. So I, I don't know about that. Alec Martinez, I don't know if Zub has the offensive upside there. I kind of see Zub as being like, the Mark Mathot or Philip Kuba or Chris Phillips to Thomas Shabbat's Eric Carlson uh, because he's really good at shoring up Shabbat while they're on the ice together and being a really solid top pair, which Shabbat hasn't had a really solid partner for his time in Ottawa. So I think this actually benefits Shabbat too, that Zub is emerging. Uh, Ottawa is really solid when Shabbat and Zub are on the ice together and showing up in Zub's numbers. He's playing 24 minutes a night, which is a five minute a night increase over last year, seeing five more minutes each night. Um, so that's huge If uh, like for Zub to be able to put up more peripherals. He's a plus six, which you wouldn't expect to see in Ottawa. But again, Zub and Shabbat on the ice together has generally been a very good thing for Ottawa. Anyone else has not been a very good thing, but Zub and Shabbat has been a good thing. So we'll see if Zub and Shabbat stick together uh, and be this workhorse top pair that's basically the backbone of the Senators. And if that does keep up, you can hope for the peripherals for Zub to keep coming. Couple hits and a few blocks a night. The offense is going to come by osmosis, not by skill. Uh, like Zub is fine, but he's not like an offensive dynamo or anything. I like I don't know that he's even as good offensively as Goligoski or Martinez, but at least he's going to be around putting up peripherals and hopefully picking up a point here and there from just exposure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's not that good at offense, then Ottawa must really not have good offensive defensemen because he's been getting second power play time on this team for his last few games. So I guess he's better than Zaitsev, Holden, Josh Brown, and Victor Mete, according yeah, to... I mean, yeah, it's not a very high bar to clear. Yeah, but hey, you're going to get some points potentially from that as well. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Like, I'm not expecting a lot of points, but do yourself a favor. If your league counts blocks, you're getting guaranteed points right there from those blocks and then yeah maybe an uh, assist comes every now and then so yeah he's definitely someone that you might kick yourself if you don't grab soon if you haven't already again for those leagues that count blocks okay uh one more goalie that's on a hot streak we brought up of course markstrom and gustafson we gotta start in buffalo now we've got a 
go to Buffalo now and talk about a former Ottawa goalie, Craig Anderson. What an amazing start to the season for Anderson and the Sabres. At 40 years old, Anderson has four wins in his five games. Four wins. We thought maybe like Anderson could be decent for saves. I didn't expect him to win four of his five games to start the year. And it's on the back of a 939 save percentage. Craig Anderson is still only 31% rostered in Cupful. Like any other goalie that started the season like this, he'd be up at like 80 plus percent for sure. But since he's like 40 years old and he's on Buffalo, clearly people just don't believe in him. I myself included, like I streamed him in and out in tier one of the Cupful for a game, and it was like basically his only average game of the season. And I was like, all right, well, decent stream. I'm sure he'll like whatever. The next game was was against Tampa, so I'm not going to hold him for a game against Tampa, which he was amazing in, by the way, and I should have held him. Uh, now we'll see if he ever falls to free agency again. Maybe not. I wanted to know, Brian. Like, what do you think? Are we at a point where fantasy managers need to consider Craig Anderson as like a starting goalie who's decent? Like, I know he's not going to be amazing, and Buffalo's not going to stay amazing forever and all that stuff. But like, this is a, this is what looks like a starting goalie on a team that's doing decently well, and he's just putting up such fantastic numbers. So it's surprising to me that his percent rostered is so low. I've got to imagine it'll start climbing soon, right? You would think, but for that to happen, you would also need Craig Anderson to keep doing what he's doing, which I'm not ruling out. I'm really not. What if I told you, Elon, that Buffalo is a top 10 defensive team at five on five? Would you be interested in their goalie, even if the wins aren't likely to keep coming quite the way they have been? This is almost like the Columbus profile right they're not a like they're not the best offensive team but they're very good defensively and they're gonna win by grinding you away and that seems to be the way that buffalo has started their season i mean not like they have many options with the personnel they have but good for craig anderson for helping shore up one of the best defensive teams at five on five this seems to make anderson worth a shot Uh, i mean he is 40 years old so you wonder how he's gonna hold up over the course of the season but hey, if if uh, if Mike Smith can do it, and I think Anderson has had a really great career too, I would love to see that that Craig Anderson has enough in the tank to be rosterable through the season on a good defensive team, and we'll also see if Buffalo can keep up this strong defensive play that they've started the season with. There's a lot that's really hard to believe about Buffalo early on, so I, I'm interested to see. But in the meantime, hey, yeah, I'm on the Craig Anderson train until any. Like, a a collapse is very possible, but until that happens, uh, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm on board. Uh, By the way, I should also point out, and this is credit to Craig Anderson, Arizona is the seventh best defensive team at five on five, and we've seen what's happened to their goalies on some nights. So all the more credit to Craig Anderson for holding the fort. Yeah, I wonder if Buffalo management is kind of mad at Craig Anderson for ruining the tank here. He's like playing too well. Why couldn't you be more like Carter Hutton? Though now Hutton's injured. So I guess now they have to play Vemelka, who also seems like a pretty decent goalie. So I guess there's always value to be found. And yeah, in all the leagues I'm in, it's hard to find good goalies. And so someone like Craig Anderson is no longer available in any of my leagues. So to any of you who have him there, don't be like me and let him slip through your fingers. <laughs> like, that's my opinion anyways. Uh, also, i got to apologize to uh, Victor Olafson. I suggested before the season started that I wasn't going to expect him to have much of an offensive impact because I've never really seen him do that when he's not playing with someone like an Eichel or a Reinhardt or someone who could drive play for him so that and set him up to you know take a really good shot. But Olafson has proven me wrong in a big way so far. He has nine points in his first eight games on the year. He's currently riding a three-game point streak where he most recently scored a goal versus the Kings today. I actually uh, wrote that down early in the game. Let's see how he ended up here. Victor Olafson, he ended the game with a goal, three shots. Yeah, another solid game for Olafson to stay above a point per game. Brian, is this for real? Or 
like you know i guess that's the always the same question right is this for real or is it time to sell high (laughs) like do you try to like trade for someone who you expect to do better like a i don't know tyler sagan who we said is doing badly you know it seems obvious but also it's like sagan's not doing anything olafson's been fantastic so Olofsson has been really, really good this season. He's someone I drafted late in the Cupful and also added on another one of my fantasy teams, thinking that, hey, you know, I'll, I'll roll with him for the first bit because he's probably going to be top line, top power play. Someone needs to score in Buffalo. But I was not expecting what Olofsson has managed so far. And again, like you said, Elon, he added another goal today. So a huge start for Victor Olofsson, but I think it's more mirage than real. Like he's a guy who's traditionally had 55% points participation. He's been in on 100% of the goals that have been scored while he's on the ice. Traditionally, Olofsson is shot at 6%, which is pretty low for a forward. Now he's shooting near 30% so far this season. And meanwhile, beyond that, his shots, his shot attempts, and his expected goal rates have actually dropped. So without those percentages, I would actually have expected Olsen to be doing worse than usual, which makes him, you know, he's sort of fringe fantasy relevant last year without Eichel. Uh, this year, with the way his numbers look, unless it's all part of some bigger plan or scheme where, like, you know, he fits in perfect harmony alongside what everyone else on the ice is doing in Buffalo, it's hard to really buy in and believe in what Alston is doing, which makes him seem like a sell-high candidate to me. So, like you said, uh, like, Tyler Sagan could be an interesting target. Uh, I might have already made that trade offer in one of the leagues where I have Olofsson, and I'm curious to see, because, uh, like, what he's doing looks really exciting but I'm not I'm pretty confident I mean I of course we wouldn't think point point per game plus Olofsson was sustainable but I still don't even like I'm not even convinced 60 point Olofsson is sustainable even if we regress a lot of what's happened so I think now is a great time to see what value you can get back for him if you happen to have him on your roster yeah, I kind of feel like on one hand, I'm thinking of Buffalo similarly to how I did about Vegas in their first season, where all these like random players were getting a bunch of points. And I was like, well, there's no way they're going to keep this up. This is like Vegas, an expansion team. And now Buffalo's like, there's no way. This is Buffalo. They, they are, they're supposed to be bad. And probably they will turn out to be bad, I think. Like, it's kind of weird that they're able to have a player who has over a point per game, like eight games into the season, but they're doing it so far. But I think I'm with you, Brian. I would try to sell Olafson if you can. Obviously, hold him and enjoy him for as long as it lasts. But if you could flip him for like a really reliable, good player then why not uh so earlier in the show you mentioned that jt comfer's upside is like someone like a uh, alex killorn we've got to bring up killorn by the way that's actually pretty good right now because another player with nine points in eight games just like olafson is alex killorn who clearly has been a beneficiary of nikita kucherov being out of the lineup he has seven points in his last four games including a two goal one assist outing versus arizona on thursday from his line with stamkos and sorelli meanwhile brian i'm holding on to andre palat in the cupful who hasn't done much of anything and he's being blocked from the top power play by Corey Perry of all people he like Palat is basically the Anthony Mantha of the Lightning like it's like why aren't you on the top power play because this Connor Sherry and uh, Corey Perry are getting those spots apparently Brian did I draft the wrong secondary Tampa player in my draft is Killorn the clear Tampa forward you want at this point after Stamkos and Point I don't think so Killorn's another sell high candidate he has no power play points um, which is like funny because usually his his only value comes from those power play points. Uh, and he's really managed to do very well at even strength with six goals on 16 shots so far. His points participation rate is also 20% higher than it's ever really been. So these are all reasons to not buy in on Alex Kalorn. And if you've got him, see if you can sell him. But it's going to be pretty hard to find believers, I think. 
Okay, fair enough. The, I guess I'll wait another week before I ask you to tell me if I'm holding on to Palat in vain, not on the top power. But he's definitely bothering me as well. But let's let's give him a little bit more time. He had a one goal, one assist game somewhat recently, at least. Uh, let's take a stop in Seattle, where they seem to be breaking our rule. Like Generally, in fantasy, you want to have the players who are like getting lots of minutes and are at the top of the roster, you know, on the top power play. The leading scorers in Seattle going into today's game against the Rangers are Jared McCann and Brandon Tanev, who have been getting the opposite of Primo Deploymento. Actually, let me check the line combos that the Kraken were throwing out today. It looks like they were going with Schwartz, Wenberg, and Donskoy. Oh, wow, they're really like, shaking this thing up. So Schwartz, Wenberg, Donskoy, Gord, Tanev, and Yarnkroc. Oh, I think McCann is out because of a late COVID protocol thing. So there you go. It's, ugh, this COVID thing is really frustrating. But anyways, McCann hasn't been on the top line like we expected him to, but somehow he has... Uh, seven points in eight games. So that's amazing. And then you have Brandon Tanev, who we just expected to be like a bottom sixer, good for hits. He's got six points in eight games, and all those six points are goals. And that's been in like basically half the games. Like some of the games he does nothing, or the other games he has either two or one goal. So Tanev is obviously on this really big hot streak. Now we'll see if he keeps this up tonight against the Rangers. But Brian, like, what do we think about these guys? Like both are rostered in like 45 to 50% of leagues. So McCann and Tanev, both available in lots of places, both having great starts to the season let's say let's make a prediction in a month from now for both McCann and Tanev do you expect their rostered percentage to go up or to go down from where they are now where I said they're both around 50 percent I could see Tanev probably going down maybe holding but if anything going down and McCann I could see going up for Tanev, uh, he's he's the early Cy Young contender in the NHL, by the way, with six goals and no assists. Those six goals have come on 18 shots, but at least he's shooting more than he used to and more dangerously than we've seen from Tanev before. Those middle six minutes that don't offer Tanev a ton of room or opportunity, and he has no power play time. This is a guy who pays for 40 points last year, so maybe Brandon Tanev can add five points to that pace from last year. But he's kind of like OEL in that, you know, while he's slowly making his way to 40 or 45 points, there's some valuable peripherals that can come along with it. And for Tenev, that's a couple shots a game, three hits a night. That's pretty relevant in some format. So if someone like that can give you 40, 45 points, I think you feel pretty good about it if your format rewards it. As for Jared McCann, he's like their Swiss Army knife in Seattle. They're like, hey, go center this line. Okay, go center this line. Now go center this line. Like he can go anywhere in the lineup and do anything with anyone. Uh, he's played with Eberle and Schwartz. He's played with Wenberg and Donskoy. He's played with Tanev and Appleton. Uh, you know, it's like, Jared McCann, go, go get that line going, which I think limits his upside as long as he's bouncing around the, the top nine like that. I, in a line one power play one role for McCann, I think he'd be capable of 65 or more points, but a line unknown power play one role probably puts a five to 10 point dent in that. I do think at some point McCann is going to settle somewhere in the top six and be able to still consistently put up points, at which point I think his his roster ship is going to go up. But I guess if he's only at 50% now, I'm not sure what more he can do to convince people to roster him. So maybe it will stay the same. What do you think? Yeah, I think it'll probably stay around the same. Like, the thing with McCann and with Seattle in general is they just don't seem like they're going to be a very offensive team. So I don't think they are the type of team that's going to have a 65-point guy. So I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, 
probably I could see McCann slotting in around as, as a 55-point player. And like you said, he's bouncing around the lineup, so it's hard to expect too much of an upside, but it's obviously good for Seattle to have such a good player on their team. I bet Leafs fans are wishing that they were able to hang on to him. But I mean, that's an old debate that we probably don't want to bring up again. Uh, okay, let's uh, do one more hot streak, and we'll end with a few cold streaks. Uh, so over on Detroit, I guess we got to welcome Joe Valeno to the 2021-22 season because Valeno crashed the party in style on Saturday, putting up a goal and an assist versus the Leafs in that 5-4 loss. Valeno only played 12 minutes and 28 seconds, and he only played on the third line with Rasmussen and Nemesnikov. So, Brian, should we just assume this is just like a flash in the pan, or do you have any interest in the 2018-30 overall pick? Kind of reminds me of Seth Jarvis, right? He played his first game today, picked up a power play assist, but in low minutes, not a great line. But these are players that Jarvis, obviously, a little bit more so than Valeno. These are both first-round picks that have had a nice start, at least offensively. Do we think that Valeno is someone that we're going to be mentioning again this season on Keeping Carlson? I'm not sure we're going to be mentioning Joe Valeno a whole lot this season. Uh, His former first round pick in 2018 was picked 30th overall by the Red Wings. And his career in Grand Rapids of the AHL has been like middling. He had uh, 23 points in 54 games in 1920. Then he played in Malmo last season and then had three goals in five games with Grand Rapids this year before getting called up. Great that Valeno is 22 years old. He's got two points in a game with Detroit, but I'm not sure he's long for a scoring role. I actually uh, pinged our prospects expert, Victor, uh, who has his own podcast too, Fantasy Hockey Life, who uh, shared his thoughts on Valeno, which is that, uh, like, don't have hope for big scoring upside. Like, maybe he gets to a 55-point pace. This is career. This isn't this year. Um, But, like, it's unlikely even, or not necessarily likely, that Valeno is going to get to that 55 point pace in his career. He's probably a, a third line center. If he got top six deployment and strong wingers, he could have long term relevance. But uh, Victor says that's not the outcome he'd bet on. Uh, and for this season, Victor's like, I wouldn't even stream him unless I see some strong, consistent deployment. So to answer your question, I think this might be the last time we talk about Joe Valeno on the show this season. But, I mean, we've seen stranger things happen. We see guys of all kinds go on little runs. So we might see Valeno's name again at some point, but I don't think he's someone to get super excited about. Yeah, fair. I guess last year we saw Adam Ernie get mentioned on the show every week because he was on a good run in Detroit. So maybe that's the upside we could expect from Valeno. But I agree with you. Just wanted to give him kudos for a great start to the season after getting called up. He was I was surprised that he didn't start the season on the team. He had a decent preseason. Then he got like, you know, sent down right at the end of the preseason. And so nice to see him come up and show the coaching staff that he, he deserves to be there at least. Uh, okay, so let's end the show on a few cold streaks. Brian, I'm just going to throw like uh, three defensemen at you who are really bumming people out that have done nothing. And then maybe you could just give your quick takes on them before we end the show. Got to start with Alex Petrangelo. Finally got off the schneid with an assist on Friday. That was his first point in eight games on the season. Two seasons ago, Petrangelo was a 60-plus point guy with the Blues. Then last season, he was like a little disappointing to some. He only put up a 46-point pace. But so far this season, he's been a disaster on the score sheet. People are wishing for that 46 points from last year. Do you, So I guess the question with Petrangelo is if he's going to turn it around or if you're seeing him as someone that people should maybe try to sell now before it's like too late. People realize that maybe he's not even going to be 
be that offensive at all this year. Again, only one assist now in eight games. Uh, then there's Keith Yandel, who started the season really hot in Philly. Five assists in his first three games has gone pointless in the next four, even with that top power play deployment. He was dropped in both of our cupful divisions. I don't know if he's still available in yours. I think he was taken in mine, but I'm curious to know if you have any interest in Yandel as like a strict power play one guy that's going to help you with power play assists, but probably not much else, but it's a good spot, right? And I'm curious to know why he slowed down. And then finally, Jacob Chikrin. I'm ready to say it, Brian. Another pointless game today versus Carolina brings him to nine games now with nary a point to show for himself. He actually has found his way back onto the top power play. Now Arizona's been running a three-forward, two-D setup, so he gets to be there with Gosses Behar. But, you know, somehow along with this promotion to the top power play, Chikrin now has only taken one shot in each of his last three games. That was the one thing he had going for him, was taking shots. So I know we've been preaching patience. I gotta admit, Brian, if I had Chikrin at this point, I'd be getting pretty like frustrated and it might be getting too hard for me to hold on to him like this Arizona team is like really terrible they're not going to score a lot of points Chikrin doesn't seem to be able to overcome that so I don't know we'll we'll see what you say I think I'd be almost ready to tell people that they can drop him like if they could trade him for someone that would be great but I'm I'd be really worried in a lot of leagues Chikrin is pointless in nine games and he has yet to be on the ice for a goal scored at five on five. You heard that. He has not been on the ice. Jacob Shikrin has not seen a goal scored while he's been on the ice at five on five, which makes life difficult, right? It's hard to get points when no one's scoring goals, which is kind of the situation in Arizona. So I'm looking at his expected goals rates and like they're dire, actually. <laughs> they're almost a full goal per 60 minutes lower than uh, his goal. Uh, expected goals rates on ice last year and probably half a goal lower than still like what we'd expect as a bad number there. So like things are really, really bad uh, with Shikrin on the ice offensively for Arizona. And that doesn't mean it's on him. I think he's probably still doing his job. He's still actually firing shot attempts the way he normally does at five on five. Unfortunately, uh, you know, that I think a lot of those shot attempts came on the front half of the season when he had those three, four, five shot games. But now, yeah, as you mentioned, just one shot in each of his last three, uh, even when he got the power play deployment. So it, it's super frustrating. If I had him, depending on how deep your your defensive group is in free agency, he'd be a hard guy to just pull the plug on because he probably still has more upside than anybody in free agency in a deep enough league. But if there is a league where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of 40, 45-point guys out there, then I don't see much reason to be holding on to Jacob Shikrin. Um, and then you asked me about Keith Yandel. I'll go reverse order here. He had five points in his first three games and then has been silent since then. But unlike Shikrin, Yandel still has the shots coming. Uh, this is the plight of Keith Yandel, right? Uh, he either is scoring or he isn't, and hopefully he'll get a couple shots along the way. You know, in aggregate, nothing looks like it's missing for Keith Yandel. He just had a hot start and then like a cold few games to follow that up. But Yandel is a really rough guy to hold when the points aren't coming. And note that he's seeing just over 55% of the Flyers' power play timeshare. Compare that to Yandel seeing 80% of Florida's power play time last year, 65 to 75% of power play time for his teams before that. So it doesn't bode well that Yandel's good at this one thing, which is quarterbacking a power play, and that job for him has been downgraded 
this year. So he's probably a 45-point player, assuming his power play usage doesn't suddenly shoot up, and I don't think it will. And so um, value him accordingly. And again, like a tough guy to hold when he's cold. And then you asked me about Alex Petrangelo, who uh, is on Vegas, and Vegas is the only team remaining in the NHL uh, that has yet to score a power play goal. They are 0 for 15 with the men advantage. Vegas clearly hurting without their top line on the power play and at 5 on 5. It's showing up in Petrangelo's numbers. At 5 on 5, the Golden Knights are shooting less than 5%, uh, and he's down about half a goal per 60 in expected goals at five on five. Uh, and of course, like there's no scoring happening on the power play. Petrangelo's only been on the ice for four goals all season. That's one every two games compared to usually being on the ice for one a game. Uh, so I think for him, I think things are going to be okay. You just need to wait and watch to see if Mark Stone is ready and then patch ready. Unfortunately, the Golden Knights just aren't deep enough in scoring to keep doing what they do without those guys. And this is when you feel the pain of not having that true top-line centerman who can sometimes carry a line even when you are missing one or two elite wingers. But Chandler Stevenson or William Carlson, just not up to that task, which is why I guess we've seen some rumors flying that Vegas uh, talks are increasing for between Vegas and Buffalo for Jack Eichel deal. So we'll watch what happens there. But in the meantime, Petrangelo, uh, if you have him, I think you just got to wait. I don't think this is going to be a bust of a season for him, but I don't know that things are going to get any better before Stone and Pacioretty come back. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess, yeah, with Arizona, it's like Chikrin doesn't have any reinforcements coming in. At least with Petrangelo, you could expect that things will get better once they have their best scorers coming back. So, uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. Hold Petrangelo and I don't know about Chikrin. Okay, but let's end the show now in Minnesota with two more cold streaks. Of course, I'm talking about Kirill Kaprizov and Kevin Fiala. Kaprizov, like Yandel, started strong, five assists in his first three games, but he's been doing basically nothing since. Only one assist in his last five. Similarly, Fiala had a goal to assist through his first three games, but has gone pointless since, including most recently a zero-shot game versus Colorado on Saturday, which is obviously very disappointing for people who just get no points and no shots from Kevin Fiala. He's the guy who's supposed to shoot a lot at the very least. And then last year at the start of the year, you know, we were upset that he wasn't scoring enough on the shots he was taking, but we were like, at least he's taking shots. So anyways, that was a, a bit of an aberration of a game anyway, so I wouldn't read too much into no shots for that last game for Fiala. But yeah, I wonder if Matt Zuccarello's absence is like having a playing a bigger effect on the team than I would have expected. Like I didn't think Matt Zuccarello would like really hurt Fiala and Kaprizov when he's away, but yeah, it's been not great since he's been gone. Uh, Coach Eveson tried putting Fiala and Kaprizov on the same line on Thursday. And apparently, he wasn't happy at all with the results, and so on Saturday, the Wild went back to Kaprizov with Eriksson and Marcus Foligno, and then Fiala with Hartman and Goudreau, and that also was not very successful. Uh, Minnesota lost four to one to the Avs, even though they were without Rantanen. Uh, so, what should people's panic levels? be at with these guys Kaprizov and Kevin Fiala Kaprizov was a chalk second or third round pick in most leagues this year and Fiala was someone I was so sure would be able to continue the toward pace he ended last season on uh did we blow it here Brian on expecting these wild top forwards to be so good or do you expect things to turn around soon I think things are going to turn around for Fiala and Kaprizov we'll start with Fiala who's seeing uh, two more minutes at night uh, per game compared to last season but don't get too excited about it because those extra minutes are coming because Kevin Fiala kills penalties now that's uh that's what the wild are doing with him they're going to put him on the third line and ask him to kill uh, to spend about a quarter of their shorthanded time on the ice killing penalties trying to add another dimension to his game Fiala's actually lost 40 seconds a night at five on five and is throwing fewer shots on net but I'm not so worried because his five on five on ice shooting percentage is 
is 1.2%. And like, this is something I reference a lot. An on-ice shooting percentage uh, for a good forward should be around 8%, give or take 1%. And so 1.2% is dreadful. Like, it's rare that you see someone sh- someone's on-ice shooting percentage being below 6% for a season. Uh, 1.2% is just awful and unsustainably bad. So that's going to bounce back for Fiala. He's still got power play time that he can work with. Uh, yeah, maybe the ceiling for him isn't quite as high as we hoped it would be going into the season, but I'm also not totally panicking and thinking nothing is going to work for Fiala this season. And then you look at Kaprizov, his on-ice shoot, shooting percentage is below 6% as well, so that it's not as bad as Fiala's, but it's still not great. And Kaprizov himself has no goals on 26 shots so far this season. For a guy that scores on 15 to 20% of his shots, that's more than a couple goals lost to regression for Kaprizov. And while his expected goals rates at 5-on-5 five five are down down a bit. I'm not pulling the alarm on it just yet. I'm going to be patient. We know Kirill Kaprizov is a really, really good hockey player, and I'm willing to give him another week or two to start trying to work things out before thinking there's something seriously amiss. Okay, yeah, I think I would agree with you and say, like, Kaprizov, I'm, like, not panicking at all. Like, I'll say, like, a 2 out of 10 on the panic scale. Fiala, I don't know, 4 out of 10. Like, I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned, right? His line mates are freaking uh, Goudreau and Hartman. Like, these are not players yeah. you are going to produce with. He's on the top power play. Like, but I don't know. Fiala, this happened last year. That's the only, that's the thing I'd, I'd, like, hang my hat on if I'm hoping for him to do better is, like, last year, you know, he started slow and then things picked up. But, uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Both of them will probably be fine. And, yeah, maybe now's a good time to target Fiala in a trade. But at the same time, I, I just don't want to say it's, like, a guarantee. I'm not, like, as confident in him as I am in Kaprizov. For sure. And you heard me say where, you know, I we would want, we'd be hoping for 70 points from Fiala and maybe we can't hope for that. But I still think he's good and going to be okay. I don't think he's suddenly bad, but he is limited in ways that he hasn't been limited before, which is frustrating because it feels like the ceiling is high if Minnesota just lets Fiala run loose, which they seem really, really committed to not do. So I still think he makes a good buy low target, but just adjust your expectation for him to be you know, maybe more of a 60, 65 point guy instead of a 70 point player. Yeah, I wish that they could just like call up Marco Rossi and he could be as good as people were hoping for. Then Rossi could center the Fiala line. Maybe Jordan Greenway comes back. Then we could, or Marcus Foligno could go there. Yeah, right now it's just hard to be like especially excited. Uh, but okay, Brian, this has been so fun. Uh, we've gone through so many players. Uh, the time's flown by, but I think we got to start wrapping up the show here. So thanks everyone so much for listening to another episode of Keeping Carlson. Like we said at the top, if you like the show, we'd love for you to subscribe. Get every single episode on our network, both from us and from Ben and Lewis on Short Shifts. Also, like Brian mentioned, you definitely want to be subscribed and downloading the Stream Scheme podcast from Dave Benton every Sunday where he looks at the schedule for next week and tells you how you can be successful by targeting players with good schedules and letting you know who it's time to let go of. And Dave's been on fire this season. He's had some of the best. Like the problem with Dave's picks is they've been so good that they've turned into not streams. People you have to just hold all season because they're doing so well. So you definitely want to be subscribed and listening to the stream scheme. Uh, if you like our show or Dave's show, <laughs> uh, please go and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice comment. It's a really great way to help us out without costing you a thing. Uh, we do have our Patreon program that's been going on for a very long time now. We have a really fun community of patrons. So I would invite you to come join us it's a new month which means you won't get charged uh, for like a month you're basically getting a free trial of being a patron keeping carlson join our discord server you could ask for advice from brian and myself and ben and lewis and all the smart patrons there really great community we've got some cool bots like a lot of people have come in lately and just told us like your discord server 
is off the hook. Like, there's so many cool things going on there that I don't even want to, like, get into just, right now. Just to be clear, nobody says it's off the hook. Like, we've, it's, we've gotten it's some good like, compliments. Yeah, it's a great, like, just juxtaposition for you to say. People come in and say it's off the hook. There's so many cool things going like, – off the hook and cool don't go together anymore. What do you mean? What's wrong with saying off the hook? I don't think that's a cool thing to say. Well, I don't know if you're the right judge of what are cool things to say, Dad, but okay. Uh, anyway, you can become a patron, Keeping Carlson, join our Discord server. You also get our monthly patron cast, our weekly show notes, and there's probably some other person I'm even forgetting about, but you could read all about them over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, let's uh, cue that outro music, and let's uh, let us all off the hook, and you can read the credits and we can all go home. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Christopher, Andrea, Josh, Tom, Kevin, Derek, David, Robin, Patty. Thanks for the extra little bit you do to keep uh, new episodes of the show coming. Thanks also to our team on the Discord server, uh, Kevin and Jeremy, who are helping us moderate things over there. Thanks to Shams helping us operate our Game Day News NHL, Game Day Lines, and Game Day Goldies Twitter accounts. Thanks to Victor of Fantasy Hockey Life and Tom Crowhurst for their contributions to today's episode. And uh, logo art by BrandonWeave.com, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. All right, great job as always, Brian. By the way, you mentioned Kevin A. Bear. Congrats on the new family member, Kevin. Uh, very exciting. Uh, but yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And Brian, I'm looking forward to short shifts from Ben and Lewis a couple times this week. And then I'll talk to you next Sunday where we'll go over some more injuries and outjuries. Hopefully not too much COVID and some exciting hot streaks and cold streaks because that's what we do every week here on Keeping Carlson. Until then, as important as ever, please do all that you can to make sure fantasy hockey is for everyone.